I literally like ran into my apartment from driving home from work. Uh, noticed that the AC was off, and I'm enjoying that. Uh, so it's nice and toasty in there. It's it, it's I mean it's not super hot, but it's um it's therapeutically warm, I would say. Mm. And uh, uh, then poured myself a uh, frosty little beverage and moved the laptop over and set everything up and then <laughs> just did all the things. Did all the things you got to do. Mm. Mm-hmm. To talk about a movie of this high caliber. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, hmm. I was going to I was gonna start with uh, a good week and all that and uh, catch up, but it's, it's probably depressing enough just to talk about this movie, isn't it? Um. I'm not depressed by this movie. Okay, I don't. I don't understand. Okay, here's the thing. I think that this is so bad that it is entertaining um, in a way that it was not intended by the people who are making this. Uh, you, however, I get the feeling <laughs> are just angry at the universe or something. Like there, no, there are parts of this movie where I will agree with you that it is so bad it is funny. But then there are parts where it's like the already glacial pace slows down a little bit more so we can get a little intimate with the characters and it's like ah oh, stab me in the ear yeah well it takes a eternity that's for sure i'm glad you got that out of the way while i still have the will to live mhm um yeah so this it's an interesting product especially when you start dissecting like why <laughs> for, for for literally anything in the film um then then, then it becomes a, something just really super special because uh i don't think you could make anything like this these days uh, at <laughs> are, all are you speaking specifically about the um production woes or just the fact that it is a uh pile of garbage that was a converted property that uh somebody just decided to make a movie about well you see you you can do all kinds of stuff with IP intellectual property. Uh, thank you for thank you for spelling that out. Yeah, well, you're welcome. Um, and you it, and indeed, companies make a big deal out of doing those sorts of things. Uh, <laughs> Disney, Marvel, etc., 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 so on and so forth. Uh, lots of things designed to sell merchandise and toys and tie-ins and all kinds of promotional things. Uh, it was just that in the '80s, you could do it very badly and still make a lot of money doing it. Uh, and Mattel was sitting on top of a big pile of money from uh, all, all of the stuff that they were doing, uh, where this toy company uh, was so successful at selling these toys, which were based on, which had a cartoon based upon them. It was one of those situations where they would make the things and then the cartoon people would be like, okay, I guess I got to write something that this thing does. Uh, and then out of that spun off this whole idea of making this film. And the weird machinations behind who was funding and making it and like the budget for it and all all kinds of weird stuff and the the writing tropes that are in here i mean these these are not timeless writing tropes these these are of of the era that they were in they are the tropes of the time uh and it's it's very evident you know you've got your your uh comedic like comedy relief little uh, uh, character on the side. You've got your uh, woman who's take charge, but not too take charge. You've got your uh, uh, hero who's coming in to punch evil in the face. 
you've got uh, or, or shoot evil with a laser because he has a sword, and that'd be too graphic, so they can't do that. And then you you know you got all this these things happening, and it's just it's very eighties. You know, going to Earth and you know people being confronted by the Earth that they're they're facing from another place, the fish out of water story, because uh, that's less expensive. Um, I mean, you know, look at uh, Star Wars. Uh, tie-in material here where they're just like, well, everyone likes that, so so we'll put some of that in here. Uh, it, it's, it's just it's very eighties. It's 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 amazing. Um, yeah, it, <laughs> <laughs> some of those things also bad. Um, yeah. Oh no, they're I, they're all bad. <laughs> I wasn't talking about those things being good. I'm just saying. All right, all right. As long as we can yeah. level set and just sort of say that like. I mean, particularly the beginning of this thing is just the worst. I mean, the very <laughs> beginning where you've got the the, the matte painting of uh, of the the Castle Grayskull, which is delightful, very, just absolutely delightful that they pushed that far into that matte painting. Yeah, well, it's one of those things where it's like you guys could have maybe gotten away with this if you had cut away just a little sooner <laughs> <laughs> instead of like a twenty second long slow push into this thing that has no parallax whatsoever. Yeah. See, these days, kids, what you do is you paint all that in Photoshop, and then you project it in, like, Cinema 4D or Nuke or whatever onto uh, some rough geometry. And then that way you Cinema get some 4D. parallax when you when you push in. And you don't have to have, like, really fine edges because you can just do that with alpha stuff. Like, so you just have these warpy cards that hang off the, the sides. Mm-hmm. Mm, warpy cards. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, they didn't have that technology available to them. They had, they had paint on uh, plates of glass and uh, cameras that would move in and out. And across, <laughs> and up and always, down. <laughs> always got to paint on the back side of the glass, lest you see the shadows of the uh, the, the the bumps of the paint. So yeah, gotta, and the, gotta paint and the brush the strokes, side. of course. Yeah, but this made it super real because obviously that was such a realistically designed structure with like some bat wing thing hanging off the back and like some lines going off to the side and some dangly yeah. bits. And, you know, just as realistic as this matte painting is uh, Skeletor's fleshy skull that moves around in no way like a skull does. Uh, his makeup design is actually pretty excellent when you think about it. It's pretty nice looking, but, yeah. it, um, but it, he, it, no, it looks he, very squishy. He's, he's definitely not an actual, like, skull-headed person, Dad. Um, but, <laughs> uh, but, but, I mean... Well, it, I, I think there's probably a skull underneath there somewhere. Well, I meant his whole head is not a skull. Like he's in in the cartoon um, that this this movie is apparently based on, <laughs> then you have this uh, uh, guy who has a skull for a head where a mm-hmm. jaw just opens and closes on a hinge, yeah. and that's that's it. I mean, there's no muscle pulling any of those bits and pieces, and there's no tongue for talking or anything. Well, it's it's yeah. magic, but uh, at least they did sort of capture the realism of the uh, non-moving uh, lips, so it's just sort of a flapping mouth with words coming out. Ah, you're too critical but, of the, the makeup. I mean, was, I mean, they were able to do that for uh, for a number of characters, too. Like, uh, Gwildor, I was amazed at how well he was able to speak without opening his mouth. Dan... Mm-hmm. Gwildor is terrible, um, yeah. but uh, but but Skeletor, like honestly, for the eighties, like what wh- who was doing uh, uh, better makeup that didn't just look like human lips? Oh, I I'm not saying anyone was, but it still looks bad. Uh, okay, well I'm sorry. <laughs> it's not up to your your standards of I don't I don't know imaginary perfection. I mean, this movie couldn't. Faces. 
If they would have had a little bit more money, they should have just stopped motion to skull, like an actual skull. I think that would have been a little more distracting. No, and you would. <laughs> I'm I, I sure think, that it would have. I, I'm gonna. Disagree. It would have been just as emotive as Skeletor's actual face. <sighs> okay, whatever. Harry hasn't Dan. Um, mm-hmm. So the maybe some go motions so it'll just have like weird blurs every now and then uh so no i don't i disagree uh but also you would have lost something of uh frank langella's uh performance here uh where he's eating all of the scenery in the movie which is impressive because there's not that much of it uh but (laughs) yeah how many locations are in this movie i think four uh well you have uh, Vasquez Rocks. I mean, uh, the the planet Eternia. You have uh, the, the dro- entire planet, which is just sort of like the, the desert area with a hologram above it. Yeah, what I really love about that is when uh, they keep talking about the city and, and, and all this stuff and the rebellion and whatever, but every time they show anything on the planet, it's just a barren wasteland and there's like a hologram projector and like a couple people off to the side. <laughs> It cracks me up because it's just like you you guys did not have the money for any of this. And then, of course, you know, saying things off camera like, oh, the people still believe in him. It's like, what people? There were people like those five guys that were out there. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, so, he's got really lofty goals to be the uh, the leader of uh, like five people. Well, you know, it's one of those things where it's just like either you believe it's all off camera, which is what they were hoping <laughs> or or you don't. And no one no one ever believes that yeah they, yeah they did a great job of like those two wide shots of absolutely nothing and then just the most extreme close-ups of everything else just so you don't like no no you don't, don't look around anymore you already saw how wide the, the the scenery is here you can just stay really close and tight here and we'll just we'll give you a close-up of whatever this like belt buckle is on Dolph Lundgren's chest yeah imagine this battle with all, all this stuff happening all over the place just imagine it because we're literally never going to show it to you uh yeah, there's and, totally more than like four guys running around we promise you just you can't see them right now because all these rocks and stuff are in the way yeah and then your other location that you have is the uh, uh the throne room area of, of gray skull and uh you have uh Gwildor's little shop i guess which count as a location sort of i mean yeah, i guess technically they, they built a set for it for whatever that's worth uh then you have uh the planet earth um, which saves you a lot of money because uh, you don't really need, you know, sets uh, for that because they shot a lot of that on location in Whittier. Um, not, not even, not even the fact that like it's Earth and you no longer need sets. Like it's uh, like the shipping section of a warehouse. Like it's just the backside of a warehouse most of the time, and then like a road, and uh, and then like uh, the music shop, and that's pretty much it. Uh, high school gymnasium, Dan. Hi- briefly, brief high school gymnasium, and uh, briefly in uh, Courtney Cox's house. Yes, yes, and you get to see that twice: once with furniture in it, and once with boxes in it. Oh yeah, because <sighs> there's that there's that alternate reality thing going on there at the end. Yeah, we'll we'll get to the ending because. Um, <laughs> That, that's probably, uh, all I that's probably talk the about cherry it. on top of this. <laughs> the only thing I want to talk about in the end is that nightgown thing that they put Courtney Cox in. Sorry, sorry. Well, let's talk about it. Let's talk about our uh, our actors now that we've talked about our locations. Sure. Uh, we we have Dolph Lundgren, um, who is who's playing He Man, um, and uh, he's not good. <laughs> he's, he's he is so comically bad at this. That that it cracks me up. Every line delivery is terrible. Uh, every every like glance or look or reaction shot is just like startled disbelief that he was asked to to, 
to look anywhere. It's 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 amazing, uh, and you know he he doesn't even really get to do anything other than like be oiled up and kind of smudgy um all over the place <laughs> he's very smudgy yeah he's, apparently he, there are no showers on his planet well not just that but when you think about it it's it's just like he's just been like that through the whole thing but i mean i guess it's only in the span of a day or whatever but uh, he does get gradually slightly more soiled yeah well he doesn't <laughs> don't we all but uh so he's <laughs> he's uh in a situation where he is supposed to be this powerful warrior um and According to the cartoon, He-Man transforms from Prince Adam to He-Man when uh, he holds aloft his magic sword. He uh, doesn't. Oh, is, is that how it goes? Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't remember the the mythology of He-Man and his powers. It's literally. He says it in the opening theme song for the the series, um, and it's not very good. I prefer the Shira theme song to the He-Man theme song. Just so you know, it's, I, it's just uh, a little jazzier. I, Thankfully, I don't know either of them off the top of my head. And please don't sing it for me because I don't, I don't, I don't want that. Dun 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 Shira, Shira. Dun dun dun. You don't, you don't, you don't think that's jazzy? I don't, I don't even know what you just said. I said Shira a couple times, but uh, I don't, it, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what Shira is. Well, that was when they decided this was popular, and they wanted to have something that would compete with Barbie, so they made a female version where. There was a uh, woman who would turn into a warrior, uh, a la He-Man, only in a softer kind of a way. Like, she had a flying horse named Spirit instead of uh, uh, the the cowardly tiger that turns into a like monster tiger with a harness that he rides. Uh, tiger not pictured in this film. Um, and uh, so, you know, it's, this, it's it's one of those things where it's like, as a kid, you could be like, oh, yeah, that's that all sounds amazing, because it's the kind of stuff that you might make up, like, oh, yeah, and then there's a tiger and a flying horse. But when when you actually, like, were going to, like, sit down and, like, make a movie out of it, you, I can understand why some things are left on the cutting room floor. Mm, sure. Yeah. Sure. I mean, would I, you I, have been happier if there was a tiger in here and they had uh, uh, put, it like, a colored gel over it so that it would look green? <laughs> I'm sure it would have been uh, utilized just as well as the rest of the stuff in this movie, whereby he's just, you know, kind of aimlessly wandering around the scene holding up his sword for most of the time. Not really doing much. Okay. So, yeah, I, you know, I could, I could picture uh, a tiger sort of aimlessly wandering around behind him. Yeah, well... So the tiger probably would have run circles around uh, Dolph Lundgren as an actor, but uh, so Dolph, Dolph, this is not his best. Like, no, I mean he's he's in he's in uh, good shape. He's he's very He Man looking. Yeah, uh, he just doesn't uh, just doesn't do much. No, and everything he says is just a calamity. Like every time he opens his mouth, it's just not good. Uh, he he does a much better job in other films that he is featured in, uh, especially you know like something like Universal Soldier, which is a few years after this. Uh, he's much better in that as a like emotionless robot killer, <laughs> but I mean he's not technically a robot cyborg, whatever he's dead. Uh, but uh, you know, like that, he he does a much better job. And he, you know, he was in uh, uh, Rocky. What was it? Four? Or was it five? Which one was he in? He was in uh, that def- before this. Definitely wasn't five. Okay, whatever. <sighs> Numbers. Uh, so he, you know, he was the the Russian boxer. He had to fight. Stallone had to fight, remember? Yeah, he was he was very tall, mm-hmm. uh, and he was from Russia, and he, and he must break Stallone. Yeah, but uh, but, but then he doesn't because he understands, and I don't know. Whatever. Th- th- that movie's dumb. Um, I, I can't even 
deal with that right now. But uh, anyway, he's he's better known for other things that he's done. Uh, unfortunately, this is something he's known for, but it's known for how bad he is at it. And then uh, aside from him, we have uh, John Cipher as, as Man at Arms, who is mostly forgettable, which is probably for the best for him. Um, he's the guy with the uh, the plastic toy helmet. Uh, yes, and the the mustache. Yeah. Um, so, oh, something you should know. Uh, if if the plastic armor looks at all familiar to you, it's because it might be slightly reminiscent of the kind of thing you might see in a television series called Captain Power. Uh, I don't know if you recall that, but that was also an 80s thing where they had promotional tie-ins and a bleak future, and it was uh, made by Gary Goddard, who was the director of this film. Um, mm. So uh, I, I, I recognized it. I'm not familiar with that show, but it really just looked like the kind of armor that you buy for a six-year-old at uh, Toys R Us. Yeah, but it also has, like, whatever it is, orthogonal rectifier on the shoulder pad, um, which is important later. But the uh, then there's Tila, who's supposed to be his daughter, uh, <laughs> I didn't get that at all. Is that what that was? Yeah, it's weird. Um, and so she's also in gray plastic armor and sp- like I don't know what is that spandex sweatshirt material something. Yeah, she's she's fresh from aerobics class. Yeah, it, it, and and her hair is teased and ready and feathered and bangs and everything. Um, and she kind of has similar facial facial features to Courtney Cox, which is a little weird. Uh, yeah, for the first like five minutes, I was like, wait, is that? And then they got into a close-up. I'm like, no, no, that's not Courtney Cox. Where's Courtney Cox? She's supposed to be in this movie somewhere. Yeah. Well, then we come to Courtney Cox. Oh, and by the way, uh, Chelsea Field uh, is the actress who plays uh, Tila, and she uh, was longtime partners and then eventually married uh, Scott Bakula, who was uh, Captain Jonathan Archer on the worst Star Trek television series. So he, he was also that uh, the the Quantum Leaper. Yeah. 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 Oh, the other thing from the beginning of this movie that I want to make sure we hit is that um, there are a lot of scepters and or walking sticks in this movie. Like, uh, I, I guess that's just sort of a thing of their land, but uh, everyone's kind of got a big stick that they're carrying around. Well, there's so much desert you have to walk through. You need something to support your weight, you know? Sure, Make sure. it a little easier, a little hiking stick. Yeah, and then you got to make sure there's something really uh, ornate and heavy up on the top there so it uh, kind of defeats the purpose. Yes. Well, preferably it should make a really big, uh, heavy clanking noise every time you, you take a step. Sure. Um, and <laughs> it's like a spur. Yeah, you wear a spur on one on one boot, and uh, that that means you're a bad guy. Yes, only on Wednesdays though. I'm I'm not really sure that that's how that, but you know I'm not really an expert on uh, boot spur code. Um, so the uh, then we have uh, Courtney Cox who uh, turns in a performance. She's she's in the film. Um, She's not like I don't know. I can't say she's bad at what she's doing because what she's... <laughs> she does what she's asked. Yeah, I know exactly. It's like she she does what she's supposed to be doing. It's just what what she's supposed to be doing is just not very good. Uh, yeah. So you know, there are there are yeah. a couple times in this movie where I'm watching and I just I step outside of myself for a moment and put myself in somebody on the set's shoes, just looking around uh, in confusion, going, "What the hell are we doing?" Because you can see these people going. They just in the in the in the back of their minds, they're crossing their fingers, going, "Please don't make me look stupid. Please don't make me look stupid." I have no idea if I look stupid or not, but I I have a feeling I'm going to look stupid. And yeah, in a lot of these instances, they look really stupid. Like yeah, Courtney Cox's setup where she's leaving town or whatever, where she's leaving work for the last time, that was all fine. And then she's you know she's a little sad. She's sort of breaking up with her boyfriend because she's moving away, and they agreed upon this. But then it all goes downhill when she asks to be taken to the cemetery so she could say goodbye to her dead parents one last time. It's like, 
what are you doing? Why? Where did this come from? Yeah, it was she. It's one of those things where she she delivers what is written. It's just what is written is just it's not good. Um, and and then uh, as you do, of course, when you're standing in the cemetery saying goodbye to your dead parents, what you do is you turn to the boyfriend you're about to leave and say, "It's my fault. They're dead." <sighs> sure. Cool. All right. Th- um, what am I supposed to do with that? No, it's not. Uh, yikes. Yeah. Well, I, I was going to get into the details of why the plot of this is not very good, but. Uh, <laughs> By all means, get into the no, no, no. We, we haven't we haven't finished talking about all the uh, the actors in here. You're you're glossing right over Robert Duncan McNeil, who turns in a perfectly forgettable performance as an angry, fed up, impatient boyfriend guy um, with perfect pitch, no less. Yes, and uh, he's got a little bit of a, a Benedict Cumberbatch face when he's young. Uh, I, well, I thought he looked like a young Merlin man. <laughs> Don't don't ever tell him that I said that because that is. Right, that is hang weird. on, I gotta I gotta click on his photos again to see the the young version because his IMDb photo is is very recent and not at all uh, not at all similar to this movie. Oh wait, there's the show all button. Cut all this out. Yeah. Also, he played two very important characters on Star Trek. Uh, in yeah, Star Trek: yeah, The Next yeah. Generation, he was a cadet uh, who peer pressured Wesley into uh, 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 saying some lies at a at a inquiry. Uh, he, he played a, a cadet, Locarno, and then uh, in uh, Star Trek Voyager, he was uh, Tom Paris, the uh, the helmsman who had a rebellious streak and a penchant for old nineteen forties fifties serials. Uh, Captain Proton. It was a made up Flash Gordon thing. So that's that's the kind of uh, career he went on to have. And also, mm. he did some directing, lots of directing. He mostly does directing now. You know, looking at the the photo, uh, it's a nice black and white still taken from this movie. I maybe with the hair um, a, a little bit, I think, but he doesn't he doesn't have the he doesn't have the smile and he doesn't have the the furrowed brow. But he has the chin, uh, a little a little bit, I suppose. Okay, uh, I'm done creepily dissecting old photos of people um, sure, that we don't sure. really actually know. <laughs> so, so, well, let's move past that. Uh, we have a uh, Billy Barty who's uh, uh, Gwildor, who is a character that was made up just for the film because Orko, the character that would sort of play this role in the cartoon, uh, is a floating t-shirt with long sleeves and a witch's hat, uh, which is not feasible for uh, live action, and uh, so they they didn't do that. I'm sorry, say that again, he's a floating t-shirt? Well, basically, I mean, he is a creature thing, but he floats and he's mostly covered in cloth so you can't see him. And uh, that would have been really hard to do. So, like a legless ghost in a hat, basically. Hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, with big, okay. big yellow eyes. Uh, okay. And no um, mouth. Sure. That w- well, the no mouth would have made it difficult for him to uh, spill out so much description about the the plot of this movie. Yeah, or blow water out of his gill slits. Uh, but I thought they came out of his ears. No, it was like underneath the the sides. Were those supposed to be gills on his sort of like flat cheeks, or were those just like rolls or wrinkles? I think they were supposed to be rolls, wrinkles, and gills. Um, they were just, they were multi-purpose. <laughs> Why not both? I guess sure. Yeah. Uh, so he's, uh, you know, a lot of people like he he was nominated for a Razzie for his performance in this film. Um, I don't necessarily think it's his performance that bothers me. I think it's just the character as written that bothers me. Billy Barty specifically. Yeah, yeah, he, he was because huh. that's how the Razzies work. They nominate people for bad performances, but uh, I, I didn't think that was 
deserved. Um, you know, he 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 did what you know. He collected his paycheck. Uh, he had to say horrible, ridiculous things, and he said them with gusto, uh, like he, like uh, talking about how the universe is made out of music and stuff. <laughs> he uh, he hot wired that old car with some uh, space technology, and he put on some sunglasses and a feather boa, and that was. That was a performance. Yeah. Well, it's all for comic relief, um, which no one laughed at that because uh, it, well, it, it, it was not really well written. <laughs> no, no, yeah. no, no. Uh, but yeah, so I feel bad for him. But uh, that, that, and then there's uh, Meg Foster as, Eagle, as uh, Evelyn. Um, and I think she does a good job. You know, she's just supposed to be like an icy, horrible woman. And uh, as it, as, as her name implies, Eva Lynn, she's, she's pretty good at what she's supposed to be doing. It's just, you know, a little one note, but, but, but she hits it. Yeah. She, yeah, she worked fine. She was, she was kind of creepy in the beginning there. Yeah. And then we have, a uh, uh, Detective Lubick, um, who is, uh, played by, uh, the, the, uh, the, the guy from Back to the Future. Um, <laughs> James Tolkien. Yes. And, uh, he's, he's the best, yeah. uh, for most of this movie until, they make him say some words that are very stupid at the end there. Oh, God, that end scene in the throne room. <laughs> it's just the dumbest <sighs> thing. Uh, ridiculous. But uh, anyway, he, he's supposed to keep the movie grounded and be be incredulous. Um, but whatever. Uh, he does an okay job of that for most of it. And he, then, <laughs> and then just... he's totally on board. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> uh, and, and we have like little minor characters, like the guy who runs the... The, sto- the music store and the uh, 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 beast man and all the other little schmucky uh, mercenary guys, um, but well, well, they're not worth mentioning because they're terrible. Uh, and I laughed out loud when uh, they introduced Blade because because uh, he's that... just covered in blades. <laughs> <laughs> well, that and specifically because in Dodgeball, like when he uh, when Ben Stiller lists all the people on his team, the very first person he lists is, Bl- is, is Blade as well. I thought it was Blaze. No, it's blade and then laser and then blazer and then uh, I think there was one more. No, I think it was blaze and laser and blazer. No, I don't know. Well, I'll have to check on that. Okay, somebody in the chat room can look that up for us while we keep talking. Yeah, real time follow up. But because uh, uh, I fervently disagree with you, uh, but but blade <laughs> is. Blade, blade is basically your uh, I don't know evil Eternian bro or something like. He, he he's just like ready to go at it with knives and blades and stuff and it's just like i don't know just he's just way too into it just, yeah he's got an eye patch and two swords just dial it back maybe he wouldn't have an eye patch if he wasn't so uh sword crazy i bet he probably well, i mean he, i bet he, he probably put his practice. own eye out yeah he had to practice at some point in mm-hmm. his life mm-hmm. yep and now he has no depth perception which is exactly what you want in your uh 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 double sword wielding sociopathic mercenaries but whatever uh and I'm, then but he was like the least of the idiotic henchmen uh so i mean then you've got the the short the short one with the face and then the big poofy hair yeah karg he he, he he's i don't know why he was um trusted with running anything he's a bumbling fool uh, uh, highlighted every time you see him. Um, the only time he does anything of any import, it's because the story needed him to. <laughs> uh, like when he takes the 
the family photo over to Evelyn, and he's like, oh, this this might come in handy, this news clipping that we can read in English about this family. <laughs> um, what uh, Minor detail. Uh, so so uh, it's amazing how similar Eternian and English is. But uh, so the... Uh, uh, and and the other guy, Beastman, who was the only one who was actually in uh, Skeletor's crew in in the actual like comic and toy line, um, he he's well, he doesn't do anything. Um, he just grunts and smashes things and gropes, and he's just not good. Um, w- and, was he the only bad guy in the actual cartoon? Uh, well, well I mean, Evelyn was and Skeletor was. But right, right, the rest but like, of, this of, is of all the weird made monsters up. or something. Yeah. I thought I remembered like a toy that was some sort of like green guy. Well, there there's a Snake Man, um, but it's not this Snake Man, Sinod or Sigod or whatever they called him. It doesn't matter. He got vaporized. Um, that guy. Uh, what I did like about him was the the little costumey makeup design where they gave him like that air bladder in the neck that inflated, because um, that was that was like a little lizardy like amphibian whatever thing to do it was it was an interesting affectation i mean he was terrible at his job but you know <laughs> was he the one who got uh vaporized or whatever yeah that's just what i, I just said he was vaporized yeah. yes yeah mm-hmm. I, yeah it's um that's about all he did right and then he just kind of wandered around yeah yep in that uh in that fun scene on the uh on, on the dock at the warehouse well and and in the gymnasium um so let's talk about what happened Uh, as you said matte painting ta-da uh narration always great sign um the uh uh, sorceress looking out over everything the masters of the universe and the narrator says and there's stuff and then there's music and flying titles letters coming in and 3d things and it's just so much airbrushing it's it's amazing uh and then do you have anything to say about the opening song um what opening song? Was it a song? Behind the, it was behind the credits, the score. What? Oh, the it's score. Just... Um, well, I'll just quickly say that Bill Conti did the score for the film, but he composed it without being able to conduct it because there was some sort of a musician strike thing in the U.S. at the time. So they sent the music to various European concert halls, and they all conducted it and then sent it back. And then sound mixer guys had to put it together. Um, so it's a little choppy. Uh, and also inconsistent and very derivative. Um, it relies heavily on like stuff from Stravinsky and from uh, Holst. Like when Skeletor is introduced, it's basically like uh, Mars the Bringer of War, which is the first uh, part of Gustav Holst's uh, uh, Planets. Um, it's a very famous score. Uh, very, I mean, sorry, very famous uh, uh, composition because um, he was a composer, uh, not, not a movie guy, but. You know, a lot of people, a lot of uh, film composers rip him off and rip off Stravinsky, and so Conti did. Um, and uh, Conti delivers what is essentially a pretty generic score for this film. Um, there is the tones that play whenever they travel through dimensions, but essentially that is kind of Close Encounters from the Third Kind-ish, sort of. <laughs> so it's yeah. just like also not really that original, but whatever. Um, I mean, the movie... When, what, when What's-His-Name started humming the tones there at the end, there, it's like, you're humming the one from uh, Close, Close Encounters, Encounters guys. Yeah. It's the wrong one. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I wonder if it's one of those things where it's just like, 
we don't know what to do and we haven't hired a, a, a composer yet. Okay, we'll just hum something from Close Encounters. And then, then he does. And then Just change one of the tones at the end there. Yeah, that he's just like, okay, so uh, Bill, let, let me talk to you for a second. I just want to sit you down. Uh, so we got this thing. You remember Close Encounters? <laughs> like, I, I don't know how it went out, but the, that, that wouldn't surprise me. Uh, it, it, it just, it was not good. It's very derivative. It's very generic. It's not, it, it has, it has the big you know, spiky, noisy bits and everything that you would expect, but it's whatever. Uh, I, 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 in terms of space opera scores from the 80s that are uh, uh, not well regarded, I like The Last Starfighter more than this um, by a mile. But, uh, but that, 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 that's it for your uh, Joe Steele score analysis. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Much appreciated, yes. Uh, yeah, all, all I would really say is, yes, I agree. Very derivative and uh, very rip of all of the other spacey thingies yeah and what's uh kind of entertaining about this is that the title sequence ends with an explosion um why i don't know because nothing exploded it just there was an explosion uh and then we dissolve yeah we dissolve to vasquez rocks and a matte painting of gray skull off in the distance and fighting and smoke and stuff um although it's not much fighting uh and uh (laughs) And how long we're just kind of hiding behind rocks and peering around from time to time and very slowly walking out. Yeah. And then, uh, of course, uh, the throne room and Skeletor's all like walking in with all of his uh, robot uh, troopers. um, And it's like, I have the thing. I run the place now. I have the stuff. Uh, Bring me He-Man. And then... This is one of the little peeves that I have about this. He alternates between wanting He-Man dead, wanting He-Man alive, wanting He-Man alive now, wanting him captured but not really brought back to him a, a, a lot through the film. Um, he doesn't really necessarily pick one, uh, and, although he does mostly stick to wanting him captured alive. That's mostly an excuse to not kill the main character when it could obviously happen. Uh, and then, uh, although it doesn't really stop people from shooting at him, um, not that they hit <laughs> well, him. Well, you know, yeah. once the citizens, uh, like all five of those citizens, see him kneeling before uh, Skeletor, they're just going to be like, well, I guess if he gave up, we should all give up too. Yeah. Well, I mean, if he kills him now, then all those five people will think that he's a martyr. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> It will only strengthen their resolve to continue hanging out in the rocky areas of the desert. Oh, it's so, so dumb. Um, and... Uh, so what he and and of course we establish that the uh uh sorceress is there trapped in a little energy field and she is bland as bland can be uh and well, she's uh, you know she's stuck in that thing she can't really like move yeah well i mean she can't turn into a eagle or hawk or whatever it was she did in the cartoon uh but the did you actually watch the cartoon or did you read this on wikipedia or something i watched the cartoon dan did you not I watch the like cartoon? I, I feel like I did too, but I don't remember any of these things. Were you asleep in the 80s, Dan? <laughs> Probably. I mean, you're about my age. You would have seen it. Um, so, uh, I, Well, actually, I was going to say, I th- I'm pretty sure I had a, t- a He-Man action figure, but he was the one wearing the shiny gold outfit, not Skeletor. I mean, maybe Skeletor had one too, but I'm pretty sure I had a He-Man who had a shiny gold outfit. I had a He-Man and a Skeletor. Uh, the Skeletor was the, uh, like, I don't know, generic one that with a rubber head that you could crush, um, which is weird because, again, skull. Uh, but then the uh, the He-Man was the, the one that the chest flipped open and it was metal, uh, and you put a little cartridge in of smoke pellets, 
and then you would close it and like crank and it would just like smoke would come out of it that's the kind of thing you can't really sell these days why why, why would there be smoke coming out of his chest i don't know because he's like action ready he i have no idea what what that <laughs> was he's so powerful he gives off smoke yes 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 uh, well, if you can't stand the smoke, get out of Eternia. But uh, so he's, he, he's so uh, clean shaven that when hair starts to grow back on his chest, he just burns it off with his mind. <sighs> okay, <laughs> so I don't, I, I, I don't understand the dynamics. I also had the sword that uh, was plastic that was that was for kids, like that kid sized one. It would split in half, like part of it like glue in the dark and the the other part was purple because it was supposed to be like skeletor and he-man swords which look exactly the same but one of them had power and the other one you know didn't uh although why they clipped together into a plastic thing i don't know and it warped so it didn't really clip back together very much um so uh, that concludes it although there were all kinds of things you could buy like snake mountain sets and stuff uh and and i, I didn't own any of that no, no, neither did I. I just, I just remember having the dude with the uh, the, the clip-on gold armor. Yeah, um, and so uh, Skeletor gives his uh, holographic speech address to Vasquez Rocks, um, and it's interesting in that there are so many versions of Skeletor talking in different directions to no one. Uh, well, the important thing is when you're addressing your subjects that you make eye contact with them. So the best thing you could possibly do is have multiple versions of yourself facing in every direction so everyone feels like they were properly addressed. Yes, because it would be rude if your back was turned to them when you were threatening. Um, so the... the uh, uh, it would just be embarrassing, in all honesty. Yeah, well, that hologram, of course, transitions us to, to He-Man seeing the uh, speech delivered. and uh, <laughs> sort of standing there. And then he kind of turns to the side as if he was wondering if he left his hairdryer plugged in or something. Yeah, well, I'm sure they, they were like, okay, so there's a hologram in front of you. So Skeletor says all this stuff, and then they have like some nice little intern line reader read it in a very quiet, mousy voice. And then he's just like, okay, now you're thinking very intensely about it. Think intense. And then he does that. And so, I mean, that's just my assumption of how it went out. No, no, I absolutely agree. I think the vast majority of Dolph Lundgren's shots in this movie... Uh, involves somebody off screen yelling at him about what is happening in front of him. Yeah. So, you, I mean, it just looks like he's listening to something, and it's not like he's listening to something uh, that he can take direction off of. He's listening to somebody spout some completely ridiculous garbage, and him just going like, "What? Uh, sure, okay. Which which way is the the light thing? I look over here now. Okay, cool. Yeah. And then and I jog over there. Do, do I need to go fast? I can just okay, just jog. It's fine. All right. Well, I mean, most of what he does in this is is reaction shots. Um, that's that's it. I assume it's so they could have coverage, so they could they could cut away to something else better or use different takes. Um, just move it around, just shuffle it. It works great. You just you can get it in the edit. Yeah, not a lot of medium shots of him saying anything to anybody. Uh, no. And the uh, but but can I say from the very beginning of this movie, you know, she was uh, locked up in the the force shield or whatever, and Skeletor came walking in very dramatically. I did not understand uh, that it was not his palace. Uh, he was sort of taking it over, particularly because later, like he does the same sort of like storming into that room when he was already kind of in power. Uh, so I thought that was just his place, and he like captured uh, the sorceress and just brought her there. But apparently, that's not the case. No, uh, as I learned by the last scene. No, Dan, 
This I, I okay. <laughs> I was Dan, trying to follow it. I just had no idea what I was watching. Dan, using only knowledge that I have from when I was a child, I, I can explain this to you. Skeletor lives in Snake Mountain. It looks like a snake. I don't know why. I can't tell what the mountain looks like when I'm inside the little room there. I know, but you also never see Snake Mountain in the in the in the movie. Um, but uh, <laughs> for budget reasons, uh, there are a but, lot of things we don't see in this movie that we're <laughs> supposed to assume are there. Yeah, well, you, well, Gildor says Snake Mountain twice in the film, but it, you don't you don't see it. Uh, but the uh, I don't know why the guy with the skull for a face lives inside the mountain that looks like a snake and not inside the castle that looks like a skull. But that's them's the breaks um th- that's what the toy makers decided and uh, also like if this is not his place who are these good guys that have this throne room that has this like infinite pit that you can fall into if you like step two feet to the side well i mean the source sorceress runs it but it's been in place for like a long time or something i don't know that but, like you're, you you're hitting the barriers my knowledge <laughs> if if they were the good guys and this was like their throne room and they were not like regularly kicking people into the pit uh just you know for fun maybe like you know put some put some dance floor across that and you know make you could do a nice like clear one so you could look down you could still get the nice view of the uh the infinite pit there but you know that's that's a safety hazard yeah well you mean or some nets you could just put a couple nets down there oh a trampoline or something too that'd be great you can hop down there it'll bounce you back up it'll Uh, be be fun i would never do that although maybe they could get like a whole thing with bungee cords that would be interesting uh but bungee bungee was much bigger later than this film uh so you mean the halo people Hmm. So, uh, so He-Man beats up some robots and, uh, then rescues, uh, uh, Gwildor unwittingly, sort of, kind of, and meets up with Man-at-Arms and Tila, all in basically the same scene, um, which is very convenient and tidy, uh, and, and so, uh, they open up, uh, Gwildor's little, uh, rope net thing, and then Gwildor's like, Oh, thank you for saving me. I'm. And he explains everything about himself, which is just like, whoa, <laughs> slow I'm down. I'm the most important person in this universe, so they sent these two little robot guys in a net to capture me. Yes. Ah, uh, so dumb. Um, and so, uh, we, for some reason, they're like, any friend, uh, any foe of Skeletor's is a friend of ours. And it's just like, okay, that's thanks for writing that. And then... Uh, <laughs> that's not really how that works, either. Yeah, and, and so... Gwildor is also, uh, they're like, well, why did Skeletor want to come after you? And Gwildor is like, oh, it'd just be easier if I showed you. Let's go back to my place. I'll take you inside. <laughs> like, there is a whole resistance fight going on. And they're just like, okay, I guess we could use a break. Let's take five. <laughs> like, wait, wait, what? If, if uh, this movie were made these days, uh, he would take them back to his place, like, slip something in their tea to knock him out, and then he would take him to Skeletor as, like, a, an offering of peace. Like, look what I captured for you. Uh, can I have my thing back now? Well, that's bleak, Dan. Um, so that's, that's, that's more realistic or more believable than what actually happened. Well, let's get to how silly this is. He opens the door with a key after saying he's, like, a locksmith or whatever. They go inside, and uh, it's, like, I don't know, Yoda's hut kind of looking, but not really. And then uh, he talks about how uh, this beautiful lady approached him, and so he made the cosmic key thing so that uh, it can go anywhere, and she took it, and he didn't know that it was Evelyn, and just like, oh, wacky. Uh, And everybody's like, oh, how could you have known, you poor thing. And (laughs) 
It's a little silly. Uh, and uh, then the robot guards find them, and they're just like, oh, no, what are we going to do? Well, we could use this to displace and break the barrier around the sorceress and do all this stuff. And then it's like, oh, no, but we don't really have time for that. So let's just open this up and go to the caverns underneath Grayskull and break in that way. And it's like, wait a minute. You can just walk in like that? So why didn't well, you do I thought that they went the to the caverns. Place? I thought they went to the caverns to actually use the thing. He didn't have time to calculate how to break in to get the sorceress, but he said that the first thing he did was punch in the coordinates to the throne room because that's where like he he wanted to go get his thing back. So he like had the like had the the throne room coordinates on speed dial already, so all he had to do was hit the go button. That's no, what I thought they said. Well, he he says that, but he doesn't actually do that because he says <laughs> okay. The following line is that uh, Skeletor uh, would know instantly if I use it because he can trace the graviton wave or whatever from the the thing activating. So we shouldn't we shouldn't dare use it. And so which is it's just dumb. And so they they instead go up that way. And that's also why you see them like sneaking around around a pillar and not like falling out of a giant blue thing. Um, so uh, then they. Walk into the throne room and they're like, it's too quiet. It's too quiet. And there's nobody there. <laughs> of course it's too quiet. Yeah. yeah. It's always too quiet. Yeah. It, it's always, it, it's like, uh, we know it's a trap and we're going to walk into it anyway. Look how brave we are. It's like, ah, oh, you guys are all stupid. And then all we got to like, do is can... fight a couple thousand of the bad guys and then get her back. It's like, yeah, totally, bro. Also, you can see she's inside of an energy field from clear across the room. Like, <laughs> she's not just standing there for her health. Like, it's it's not a standing desk. There isn't even anything for her to work at. So uh, <laughs> I don't know, man. Dolph can, you know, he can bench probably like 425. So he's just going to roll up to that thing and just knock that uh, energy shield out of the way and just rescue her. Eh. So they go over there, realize that she's in an energy shield. They ask Gwildor if, she, if he can use the thing to go through the shield. And he's like, of course, but it'll only take me like 5,000 years to push some keys on this. Uh, and for the inventor of that little dingus, he, he's really not super clear on how it functions. No, he's not very good at anything, but that's important because if you had him be good at anything, then there wouldn't be much of a movie. Uh, and then the, uh, robot guards all break in and then they start shooting. Um, cause the key part in taking anyone alive is to fire at them. Uh, but it's fine since they can't hit anything. Uh, well, ever. he's just going to, you know, bounce their laser blast back at him with his sword, because that's what swords are for. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's why it's so reflective, Dan. You know, you really got to polish your sword before you go into battle. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, can't make, we can't make the same joke two weeks in a row. Oh, what was the joke? <laughs> you can't polish it too much or you go blind. Oh, well, I was, I was, I wasn't talking about that. But yeah, I mean, you would if it can bounce lasers off of it. You know, sure, it's, sure. It's definitely a way to put an eye out, um, like Blade. But he probably polished his blades too much. By the way, we did get some uh, real time follow up from the chat room that yes, it was Blade. Okay, in in in, do- in dodgeball. Yes, uh, the the character Blade was played by uh, Rusty Joiner. Is his name. Oh, that's an interesting name. It's a good name, actually. All right, fine, fine. I concede defeat. (laughs) Now uh, I laughed at that one thing uh, for a reason. Okay. Yeah, because it was Blade and it made me laugh because dodgeball. All right. So they have the throne room scene, uh, and then they're like, oh, no, this isn't really going very well for our plan that wasn't 
even a plan. And Skeletor shows up with Evelyn, and uh, she says all of the important things, like, there's the guy, he's got the key. This is important information. Skeletor says all the things like, uh, surrender to me and swear your allegiance and all, you know, just every bad guy cliche you could name. Uh, and, but delivered with conviction. Uh, and, uh, He-Man's all like, no, and stuff. And, uh, so they decide to use the key to leave, to go anywhere else. Just make a ton of sense, because how are they going to get back? and get her out of the thing again. They'd just be in the same situation they were in before. Oh, they just they had to get out of there in a hurry. So he hit, hit the button or whatever to wherever it was going. And then, oh no, the laser knocked it out of his hands. And then they're, they're jumping through the thing. And then they throw the, the, the claw back through on the rope to grab it and then pull it through the hole, which I'm not entirely sure that's that's how wormholes work. But sure, what, yeah, we'll, we'll go with it. Yeah, well, I mean, it obviously slipped out of it, like, you know, at a at a... Uh, one of the claw machines at, at your local pizza place, like it, it didn't hold on to it because it fell right out into a cemetery. Um, <laughs> so, but but because uh, I mean, were were they even close to the cemetery? Do we really have any idea that it, if it was just nearby and it just like rolled away from the claw or something? Well, I mean, it was in a uh, f- smoking pit in the ground, so it like crash landed somehow. Uh, so we, we think it fell out of the, the portal like a little too early or something. I don't know. I don't know how. I don't know how or why they justified it, and I have no idea what the geography of this was. There were trees and stuff, so it could have been not far from there, but I have no clue. Maybe, maybe it just really wanted to pay tribute to uh, Courtney Cox's dead parents before it left town. Yes. Well, I mean, maybe it was just very aware of key plot elements. But uh, so the. Uh, they they all panic inside to leave, and Dolph's like, oh, "I'm not gonna leave the sorceress. I'm not gonna leave you." And uh, sorceress's like, "Oh, you have to go because it will be better if you do for the things." But you know, I was you've just got, like, to- uh, "You've got till moon down, bro, so you can be back uh, in plenty of time." Yeah, you can just bust back into another castle again. No, no probs. Um, uh, problem breaking into a castle. Uh, breaking the force field and getting her out of there before the moon uh, rises is is an awfully big list of things to do uh, in your omni focus. Um, so I, I don't I don't I don't know why that was you know just assumed to be like such an easy thing once they just got out of there for five minutes. I mean, it wouldn't be so bad if uh, he would have programmed, like, a history into the little doodad. Like, he could just hit, like, you know, the, the last button, like, on your TV and go back to where you were. But no, apparently it, it's these very delicate keys that if they get moved, you have no idea where you are and where you came from. I mean, to his credit, all you have to do is push the button to go back to where you came from. So it, it is like the last button on your TV, where if you change the channel again, then whatever was there is gone. So, uh it's like that more than it is like browser history. It's still stupid, but (laughs) (laughs) I'm not defending it. I'm just saying in terms, in terms of analogies, you could have done better. (laughs) D D minus. (laughs) But, uh, so anyway, they land in a lake river thing. I don't know what's going on. And there's a cow, uh, comedy relief. Seems friendly enough. Moo. And uh, so they they go to uh, 
uh, scope out everything, and they synchronize their scanners so that they, I don't know. <laughs> synchronize their locators, which yes. is pretty great. Well, Three, two, one, locate. Because, <laughs> sure, that's what, that's what locators are for. <sighs> Uh, I, I guess. I mean, maybe they'll use all three of them to triangulate where they came from. But the, uh, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. It's like they have a GPS in orbit. But uh, so they uh, wander off in their various ways, and uh, Gwildor tries to talk to the cows. Some they uh, a couple of them go off to uh, the Rib Shack area where Courtney Cox has just lamented. Uh, she never thought that she would feel sad on her last day of work. And then uh, her friend that I don't know the name of was just like, I'm sure they'll have fast food in Jersey, which which is kind of a nice (laughs) way to talk to your friend who has dead parents. Uh, And then, you know, she's all like, oh, I got to get out of town, like get away from all of this. And the other friend is pointing out, you know, your parents would have wanted you to stay here. And so obviously from this dialogue, we get the very subtle hint that her parents are dead. Uh, Unfortunately, they don't leave it at that. And they, they go back to mind this a few times with... Oh, her parents are dead. Really dead. Super dead. <laughs> Let's talk about the way her parents died. Like, it's just like, calm down, guys. It was much better when it was just like the subtle delivery. Although, I do have to call into question, this is a movie about selling toys to like, what, five, four, six-year-olds? Like, so you have teenagers who have dead parents that, that died in horrible accidents? Like, that, that that's your opening to this film? I mean, I know Batman had his parents killed, <laughs> but... He-Man's not Batman. And also He-Man, like, I I don't know. This is like a random, like, side character we've never seen or heard from ever before. Like, why do we care about her parents? Yeah, Uh, if it was He-Man, we we could see that, you know, he's survived and he's strong in spite of this this background. But uh, Courtney Cox is just, you know, like uh, an emotional little uh, high schooler or whatever. But, uh, you know, the thing about it, in spite of the fact that they revisit her dead parents so often and they're very not subtle about it, uh, the first time they mentioned that her parents were dead and she wanted to like say goodbye to them before she left town, I thought it was just because her parents died like 15 years ago and like just they're buried here, but she's leaving town, so she wanted to say goodbye to their their graves or something. Yeah, but it wasn't like 15 years ago. Yeah, I, I mean, I figured that out later, yeah. but uh, I had no idea how recently they had died. Yeah, well, I think that's why she was feeling compelled to get away from it all, but... I thought it was just the kind of thing like, uh, I got no ties to this town, we're graduating high school, I gotta get out of here, I gotta get on with my life, because this place is, uh, yeah, I've used it all up, and uh, I got nothing left here, my family's not here anymore, because they're all dead. Yeah, but I think it's that, only the timetable was a little different from what you described. Um, like, they maybe just died, like, a few months ago, and then she, like, took some time off, and then went back to yeah, school, finished I, out, and then was gonna leave. Yeah, I just uh, I, I did not make that assumption that it was a recent death. Well, thank God they weren't subtle, so we got we got a really clear <laughs> explanation later. But yeah. the, the uh, uh, then then she leaves and she goes to Kevin, and Kevin is kind of I don't know a jerk uh, about her leaving. Um, and <laughs> you're gonna make my sound check, right? That's <sighs> that's what you say to your your girlfriend before she moves away forever. Well, what I really liked about that too. Um, was the way he reacted to uh, when she offered up uh, some ribs. And uh, it was like, this is also like a great way to treat somebody who you're not going to see for like potentially forever. And you and just way to not be super romantic before you leave me forever. Yeah, like, what a romantic last dinner. It's like, oh, God, Kevin, cool it. Uh, and so Kevin, um, being an emotional hothead that he is, uh, finally calms down. And after suggesting that she just take a later flight, which... 
nowadays would be laughable. Uh, but, but back then was, I guess, a possibility. And she she turns him down, and then they go to the cemetery uh, together. Um, cut back to Gwildor, uh, Man at Arms, and Tila doing some shenanigans, uh, which are stupid. So we're going to skip right past it. Uh, and then they uh, we we we've got the whole thing with the cemetery and. Uh, they find the the explanation about, you know, oh, they wouldn't have died if I had gone to the beach with them, then they wouldn't have taken their plane to Catalina. What? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> okay, well, uh, well, that's strange. That's really strange. You could have just said they died in, like, a car accident. Like, I, I don't understand why it was a plane to Catalina. Um, well, they, they've got to remain true to the canon of the actual uh, original cartoon. But it wasn't in it. <laughs> they fabricated <laughs> it just for this film. Like, almost everything in this film, it was made just for this film, and it's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so they they go through the whole thing of uh, complaining about her dead parents and how it's really her fault, but it isn't. And it was all about how she wanted to, you know, fake that she was going to study, but she was really going to spend time with Kevin. Uh, to also, I guess, make Kevin feel terrible. Like, <laughs> what's the point of recounting that? Uh, and so uh, they they find the cosmic key, although they don't know what it is. And uh, for the first, but not last time in this film, someone says, I don't know, it's Japanese. about <laughs> a complicated device they found. <sighs> terrible. But, you know, it's the 80s. No, 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 man. Push that button and see what it can actually do. Mm-hmm. The red button. Uh, so that, that's pretty silly. And he's like, and she's like, oh, we should give it to the groundskeeper. And he's like, no, he'll just keep it for himself. I'll keep it. That's better than him keeping it. I don't, I don't know how this works. Anyway, he justifies holding onto it. Uh, and they, uh, depart, uh, to go to his, uh, sound check thing, uh, for his, uh, seniors, whatever party at the gym. Um, but, uh, since he's been like mashing on the keys or whatever, that tips off uh, the people back over at Castle Grayskull who are monitoring this, who have a special room built just to monitor this. I want to point this out. In a movie with a tight budget, they they built a whole large room with a projection screen side thing, a guy on a little little uh, uh, cantilevered platform thing going up and down. Cam- well, I mean, it was just like a camera rig thing, but they just put a thing cladding around it but uh they did all of this for this one scene where they're like here's a map (laughs) it's like what was the point you could have just had like some guy come up and say like hey we found it like you're talking about like trimming (laughs) money from the budget like that could have all gone i think they reused some of those uh glowy bits and buttons and stuff on all of the uh the little hovercraft later back on earth but not the wall of giant red glowing things or anything No, no no not that yeah uh so (laughs) <laughs> it was ridiculous. And they're just like, that's close enough. Assemble a team of your best, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And they're, they're all there. And uh, Skeletor seems surprised they're there, but you can clearly see them. <laughs> Maybe he has terrible <laughs> peripheral vision. <laughs> but it- He looks like he won the showcase on uh, <laughs> Let's Make a Deal or something, where he's like, and I turn around and here are your four best bad guys. Yes. And then she introduces them because obviously you want to never know who your best people are until they're introduced to you. Because uh, that's a real sign of how good they are at their jobs. Uh, and uh, uh, Blade, uh, Synod or Cigar, well, it doesn't matter, he dies. Uh, Beastman, 
and Karg. And so he, he, then he says, you know, very dramatically, oh, you know, go bring him back alive and bring me the cosmic key and kill the rest. Whatever. And, uh, it's kind of entertaining because they're so terrible at their job. Uh, but, but it's also entertaining in the way that this basically is just a one for one ripoff of like Darth Vader sending off the bounty hunters and empire strikes back, but whatever, obviously this is a completely original movie full of original ideas. And so they all go off, uh, to the high school gymnasium and, uh, Kevin has left, um, because this is the last night that his beloved girlfriend is in town and he wants to go show off the synthesizer he found in the cemetery to his friend who works at the, the music shop. That's the most important thing. So he goes to do that and leave her there. And, uh, just the janitor Carl is there. Um, it's important <laughs> to know that it's a janitor cause that explains open bottles of ammonia that happen in later moments. Uh, I thought he was like a gym coach or something cause he's wearing like the jacket and the hat. No, but they just, they, they, when the detectives come, they say that only the janitor was there. Yeah, well, I, I heard that part, yeah. but he really looked like a, like a gym teacher. I don't know. Maybe he or was. Like a track coach or something. Maybe he was stealing the gym teacher's stuff when he wasn't around. I mean, that's what you can do. That's what, the kind of stuff you can do when you're the only person in the, uh, in the school. Yeah, you just dress up in other people's clothes. Uh, so. <laughs> I would it, just go through their locker and, like, look at their stuff and then put it back. Yeah, so they have this really empty. Uh, auditorium where they set up a couple things for, for the senior whatever party. I don't know. And uh, she hears and sees stuff happening in the other room, like light coming up from underneath the door. And she's like, oh, what's going on, Carl? Is that you? And uh, Carl walks in on like Beastman. And Beastman, um, I don't know how to explain this. If you're trying to like capture people and interrogate them, don't punch them through a door. Uh, <laughs> it's, not, it's the opposite of capturing anyone and the opposite of getting any kind of explanation. Um, you might have potentially caused head trauma. Uh, you certainly made them go farther away from you so they're no longer in your possession. Uh, so I don't, I don't really see that as a good strategy. Uh, and then, of course, Courtney Cox freaks out and uh, she's all panicked. And instead of like bolting out of the exit doors, she kind of hides behind the stage and then they all come in there, and they're like, uh, let's just rip everything apart. Well, also, like, yeah. as she's running away, she goes, leave him alone to make sure that they know she's in the room. Yeah, she, she's, she's not very good at this being stealthy thing. Uh, but, no. it's, but it's fine, because they're worse at being stealthy. Because uh, they, they clumsily barge in and, like, go after her in, like, a gropey kind of, like, definitely not going to touch you haunted house kind of a way. Uh, but with her arms First are just... all, let's talk, let's talk about their premise. Like, well, the signal came from this room. We don't see the thing anymore, but this person is nearby, so they must have it. Let's just grab them. Like, let's... they must be totally the person. Well, not just grab, but let's also potentially maim or kill. Like, Karg has to say to everyone else there, don't kill her. She might know where it is. Which is the kind of thing, you gotta figure, no one needs to say. But you do, apparently. And then even after saying that, Blade takes out two of his swords twirls them in the air and stabs through the stage uh presumably with his one good eye he could figure out the person <laughs> you couldn't see who wasn't directly underneath him but uh I'm, I'm, gu- I'm guessing he would have been totally fine if he had stabbed her uh it, it, it is uh, he knew he knew she wasn't there yet he was just trying to redirect her outside oh it's so silly and uh so they 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 do all this stuff and uh she throws the ammonia in Beastman's face and struggles and squirms and gets out of there uh, it, it is 
absurd um because she just goes running off and then uh she runs no, no. you want to talk about absurd Th- this next part is my favorite part of this whole sequence which is the most ridiculous thing would you would you like me to describe or do you want to keep going because you're doing a good oh, job no. here. Uh, you describe you describe the the loading dock warehouse <sighs> alley thing she's running through a loading dock and she runs into he-man who, who basically grabs her and says like hey what's going on what are you running from and she rightly sort of says like get away from me you freak because you kind of look like those other freaks but he's like, no, no, I'm totally a good guy. Um, I'm just uh, oily and dirty. I'm just, I'm just oily and dirty. So what are you running from? I'll totally protect you. And she goes like, they're coming from that direction. So what does He-Man do? He picks her up and walks about six steps to his left and sets her down behind some boxes <laughs> and then wraps his cape around her like a blanket, like she was a fire victim or something. <laughs> it, it entertains me so much because nothing has happened to her. She can walk. He just carries her across the threshold behind a couple of cardboard boxes and sets her down. And it's like, here, you stay here. You look cold here. Like, why don't you huddle up in this blanket as if I was some sort of emergency services employee or something? Well, I think it's entertaining because it's one of those things where uh, they probably wanted to give him something to do that seemed heroic. <laughs> but this sure. does not seem heroic. This just seems silly. Like, just and then absurd. The best part is, for, for continuity's sake, like, because she pops up at one point and, like, fires the blaster to sort of, like, help him out. And then she, like, ducks back down behind the boxes. And then he comes back around uh, t- to check on her. And she is, like, fully cocooned in, in the red blanket, just hiding and huddling behind the box. And he's like, are you okay? And then l- l- let me pick you up and let's get out of here now. It's like... For the love of God. Yeah, red is the best color to hide in. Um, so. <laughs> it's the best color to sort of huddle in when you're sweaty and shaking and you're, you're traumatized. Yeah, I mean, look how gross he is. Imagine how gross that cape is. <laughs> you know, because it's, uh, it's touching his butt, too. Yeah, I mean, think about all the baby oil and dirt on that. Um, but but anyway. <laughs> and farts. Don't forget farts. <laughs> why, why did you immediately go there, Dad? Um, uh, you know, butts and farts, they go hand in hand, like, uh, uh like, like butts and farts. <laughs> wow. Okay, so. I'm just trying, I'm just trying to play on this movie's level is all I'm saying. Yes. Well, you can't get that low. Uh, so then, uh, <laughs> Tila and Man-at-Arms also wander in, I don't know, for reasons. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter at this point. People just know where other people are at appropriate times for plot reasons. And so they, they, they come in, and they also drive off the bad guys, and uh, they flee. They're like, we're outnumbered, retreat. And I'm sitting there doing the math, and I'm like, okay, so we got Courtney Cox, we got He-Man, we got Tila, and we got Man-at-Arms. And then we have Snake Guy, Blade, uh, Karg, Beast Man and a whole horde of little robot guys. She's like, yes, totally out- outnumbered, totally. Well, they were, they were they were just cowards and they were they were being beat up. So I, I bought that they weren't actually outnumbered. He just ran away because he was a wuss. Yeah. Well, see, that scene bothers me, except for the fact that later on, when Evelyn comes back and she has that little device that shows her what happened there, and then she makes fun of them, and I'm just so, like, sorry, that- little device? It's gigantic. <laughs> it's the spinny bits. It has to be big. But anyway, I mean, it was little for the 80s, Dan. A phone was the size of your head. Uh, but the- <laughs> Can we talk about the next scene, uh, which includes my favorite prop in this movie, which is the police scanner? Oh, yes. So in the meanwhile, dot, 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 in the uh, 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 little, like, I don't know, guitar center, whatever. I don't know. I don't know what's happening here. There, there's like a music shop. 
um, which has way too much inventory for the amount of traffic that seems to be on the street. Uh, he's got keyboards. He's, he's playing Hendrix Lab, so you can tell he's a legit place. Yes, yes. Well, they cost a lot of money to get Hendrix for this. Uh, and they're they're doing their stuff, and he wanders in, and he's like, oh, can you tell me, like, have you ever seen one of these? And he's like, yeah, I've seen one, one of those. And, you know, he hasn't. Uh, and he's like, it's Japanese. And it's like, why, why, why are people in this movie so racist? And they, they uh, do the thing with the lights and stuff, and that costs a lot of money. And then they're just like, oh, well, yeah, I guess I've seen one of those. And then he's just like, no, no, come back. I'll buy it off you. And he's like, nope, I just wanted to know if you had seen it. And then it's just like siren after siren after siren after siren. And eventually the guy's like, oh, hey, something must be going on. Then he reaches off screen and pulls in a police scanner. He's like, let me check the police scanner. It's just like, he may as well have pulled like one of those actual legit 80s boom boxes out because it is like a foot wide by two feet tall. What I love about that, though, is that it was so convenient to where he was. <laughs> well, you know, he's a music shop and... You know, maybe he's got some electronics on a shelf in the corner there. No, there wasn't. I mean, like, in the other scenes, <laughs> it's all, like, drums and guitars and stuff. There wasn't, like, a police scanner corner or something to the side. What, so that's why I love it. It's because, obviously, some PA was standing off to the side and just, like, handed it to him. <laughs> but, uh, but but it's just silly. Like, there wasn't even a shelf. Uh, but but they, they do the whole thing with the police scanner. It's just like, oh, no suspected arson at the high school gymnasium ah. yeah and very convenient just like johnny dangerously he turns it on just in time to hear that you know high school gymnasium's on fire yeah exposition radio and so he uh skedaddles back to the gym and then he's all like oh no my girlfriend's in here you don't understand my girlfriend's in there you didn't find anybody my girlfriend's in there and it's just like calm down they are professionals they obviously didn't find someone in there otherwise they would have found someone in there it's how that works they're so professional that they're going to immediately say who are you and why are you here you're under arrest you're coming with us well i mean it's awfully suspicious since he was setting up to do the thing and he talks about how his girlfriend was there and and he's not actually under arrest uh, Lubick is very careful to point this out. You're not under arrest. You come with me, and we're going to go look for your girlfriend, uh, which is very reasonable, actually, that he would go help him out in this way. And it's like, ask for a description of the girlfriend, etc. And uh, what is entertaining about this, of course, is that Robert Duncan McNeil is all a- aggravated and angry and shouting at him. And he's like, you're just going to write that down? Why aren't you out there looking for her? And it's just like, <laughs> it's been like two seconds, Robert Duncan McNeil. Yeah. Cool, cool your jets. Um, and then uh, my favorite bit of that scene is right before they drive off, uh, James Tolkien spouts the line, uh, keep the coffee hot, looks like it's going to be a long night, because, you know, <laughs> he's, a, he's a cop, and that's, you know, cops drink coffee and eat donuts and stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, it's just like uh, in Highlander, where you have your uh, police procedural inserted for no reason. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, <sighs> no, no, Nobody called anyone a haggis in this one. Oh, no, but... Oh, or a slacker. But, uh, so, they drive over to... Uh, Julie's place, and it's just like, oh, she lives there. There's a parent's place. They're selling it, whatever. They go inside and poke around, and then he starts heating back up some food, uh, and uh, he's got the key out, and he shows Lubick the key, and the guy's all like, the robot guy's all like, we have a signal. We found it. Oh, there is a jamming device, unlike anything I've ever seen before. Everyone's <laughs> like, like, destroy it. Because uh, that's apparently a thing you can do with jamming devices. Destroy them wirelessly. Just destroy it now. As yeah. if the guy was like, you know, I know you told me to destroy it, but this is a really unique jamming device. So maybe we want to save this. And she, you know, she's very insistent. You better destroy that right now. So he pushes a button. 
and then the microwave explodes. Yeah, I mean, it was unlike anything he'd ever seen before. I mean, he's a robot, so he's probably never seen anything before. Um, it's all new to him, <laughs> but uh, the, the uh, which is another thing I find entertaining about this. Uh, the reason why there are all these ro- uh, robot-ish troopers in in like I don't know black Spanish conquistador armor is because uh, Mattel didn't want he-man running around killing actual people uh or things and so they wanted it to be like robot things um which were not in of course the cartoons or any of that but uh he also doesn't really kill very many of them there are a couple air centurions he blows up later but but most well, he, he hits them and then sparks come out of them yes because that's that's really how robots work uh robot or not but uh, we, should, we should suggest that. The robot Spanish conquistadors in Masters of the Universe, robot or not. Mostly people I, in I suits. Think, I think we will suggest that, actually. I'm going to write that down over here. Important note. Uh, so the microwave explodes, because you can do that over the radio or something. Uh, and that, that, that is weird. Bluetooth. And uh, Lubick's all like, ah, this is really suspicious because something blew up and there's fire and that's just like fire that I saw back at the gym when only the things that were on top of that giant rectangle were burning because that rectangle was where they were allowed to burn stuff so they could take the rectangle out later on. Anyway, the next time... You better tell me what's going on right now because stuff is blowing up in my face and there's a crazy thing making lights and it it looks like magic. (laughs) Like when when he has to like stare uh, above the thing at the lights that they're gonna insert later, you can tell that they just had him go on for so long. It's just like you're so amazed, you're so amazed. Keep making an amazed face. You're so amazed, and he's just he's just shaking his head with his mouth open, going. Oh, 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 oh. He completely loses it there. It's like we no longer believe that you give a crap about this. What's also funny about that is he looks to the side too, where it technically isn't. Because he can't see it. <laughs> well, there's like one of the little, like one of the little orbiting dots or something may have come out there. But yeah, there's nothing. No, really no, nothing, there. nothing was there. They didn't even bother to put an orbiting <laughs> dot in. He's looking at. He's just. I mean, he's look. He, he's a poor actor who can't see what it is. They just imagine something. They're above probably you. just shaking a tennis ball on a stick in front of him, going like, "Look over here." I, I don't even think they could afford the tennis ball. I think they were just like, "Look at the ceiling," and uh, so he did. Um, Where's my mark? I'm look over here somewhere in this neighborhood, like maybe like a three foot radius. I'll look around a little bit because it's amazing and it's lights and stuff and it's moving. All right. I can do that. I can work with that. Okay. What was that accent thing you were trying to do? That that was my, uh, that was my, my old tough guy accent. Uh, Let's, let's, uh, let's tweak that one later, but, um, (laughs) I'll throw an EQ on it. Don't worry about it. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, he's like, this is super suspicious and stuff. I'm just going to take this thing and skedaddle. And he does. And then, he's, he's gonna he's gonna go run the serial number to see if it's reported as stolen or something. Uh, it's like see see if anybody's reported anything like this being stolen. Pictures of it at the station or something. I don't know. It, it's flimsy and silly, and it gets him out of there with the thing. And then uh, Evelyn and Beastman and uh, hordes of robot troopers break in, um, and Karg, and they do the same thing that they did before where they just sort of break everything and smash things and, like, punch people. And it's very obvious this is not really the way to do things. And Evelyn is smart enough to know that and wanders in and she's like, no, stop, you moron, and put him down here, (laughs) give me the collar that makes him tell me everything, and we'll just put that on him. (laughs) That should be, that should honestly be your go-to move anytime you come anywhere near anyone. Put on this collar that makes them very compliant. Yes. Well, I mean... (laughs) 
uh, compliant to a degree because he didn't really like volunteer any information. They had to be very specific with their questions. Um, you know, you, you got to be careful with those uh, natural language uh, 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 speech queries. You know, ask just the wrong thing, and Siri is not going to tell you the weather for the week. Sure. Uh, yeah. I mean, because it only it only knows what you tell it. Mm-hmm. It's like a lie detector test. Sure. Except, I mean, it makes you tell the truth, so it's not like a lie detector test at all. <laughs> But uh, so they, uh, they, but it gives him a funky voice, and she gets the excuse to take out her comically large holographic projection spinny zoetrope, um, which uh, I found entertaining because it was just like this is this is such a uh, as Elton Brown would say a unitasker, like it is a holographic projection thing designed specifically to project just the cosmic key. Like how, how many of those did they make exactly? Do they have like a factory of people working on those? <laughs> uh you know it, it's great if you need to show someone a holographic object uh of approximately two feet in height or like eight inches wide yeah <clears throat> uh and so they <laughs> and then like again uh they punctuate the end of the scene with my favorite part of it where they casually stroll outside because you know they're going to track it from the air because apparently it's better to track it from the air but they walk outside and they've got this giant spaceship just sort of like parked right at the curb and it's like N- n- nobody in the neighborhood noticed that or said anything or had any issue with that and no, no, no we're just gonna hop in and we're gonna fly away it's uh, cool dan there is no one in any of these neighborhoods in this movie <laughs> no one uh is that how neighborhoods work yes exactly like later on when they're in an area that should be populated like the uh, i don't i don't know what you want to call it the main street area <laughs> yeah main street where they were there they got the music shop and they got that other closed thing and then there's like a fountain or something over there. There is not a single soul to be found. Uh, and they're like flying and there's a uh, hovering troop carrier thing coming out. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff happening. Not a peep. Yeah, you would think it would be the kind of thing where people would be going about their business in the middle of the road and suddenly start screaming in terror when they see this giant thing come out of a portal. But no, there's like no, there's nobody around. Yeah. So lame. Uh, so anyway, they, they fly away in their their, their little um, we we wish this was Return of the Jedi speeder thing uh, that goes through the air, and, and um, uh, they uh, don't find it before He Man etc. do because they go in and they take off the collar of Alderbot or whatever they call it um, by lockpicking it and then because uh, they also left that there. It seems like those are expensive but I, I don't know. Maybe they're pretty cheap. Uh, they take it off and uh, Robbie explains everything after he freaks out and like wants to beat them up and then holds a chair over his head and it gets blown up and then he's still like oh okay i guess we're friends now whatever uh so then he explains that lubick took it uh to the police station oh no to the uh music shop uh to have that guy look at it to verify again for a second time i suppose uh and so they're all like well, let's go there and they go in the neutrino car back over there um, oh, we didn't mention the neutrino car from after the warehouse battle, but there was one. It was a pink Cadillac, and it runs on neutrinos because that's easy to whip up. And uh, they go to the music store. Uh, they go inside. Um, Lubick's all like, "Ah, I'm going to shoot all of you with my revolver," and they're like, "No!" And they kick it out of his hand. <laughs> <laughs> you should not 
do that. I, I like as soon as he walks in, you know, just straight to He Man. Uh, why do I get the feeling like I've been looking for you all night? It's like, well, <laughs> it's, it's his movie, basically. It's like That's easy pretty- on the pickup lines, Lubick. Um, <laughs> so, well, he's retired, you know, he's, he's, he's bored. Uh, silly. Um, so, the. Uh, they get the revolver out of his hands and they put him in the back room and they're like, "Ah, oh, the cosmic key. He's like, "Ah, oh, keys been move. Let's mess with this. Monkey around with the thing. And let's not like immediately move out of here before Evelyn comes after it. Since people have been poking at it. Uh, and, uh, Evelyn shows up with all of her, uh, robot troopers and she comes up with a plan. Like all the robot troopers go in the front and then all the rest of us, I have another plan. And it potentially involves the piece of, newspaper that we took from the place that i can read for some reason and so she which also contains the mannerisms and affectations of a dead woman but uh so they they uh they have all this stuff happening where the robots are coming in wave after wave into a very tiny store and that's how you can get away with using fewer robots because they can just walk back out again during the uh, in-between cuts <laughs> and uh he-man can just shoot for a long time for many takes and they can just different takes I think I get the I get the feeling like this wasn't so much choreographed as it was assembled after the fact. Um, dive over an amp and yeah. dive over the counter and shoot over the amp and throw a thing. Yeah, <sighs> dear. So I mean, this, this is where where Dolph really came into his own here because he he could do the physical stunts, he could do the flips and the jumps and the stuff. But most of it is firing a laser gun <laughs> and looking off screen. Which he can kind of do, but he has a certain vacancy to his expression. Uh, so, so it's 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 not like determination or like I look like I know what I'm doing. It, it is a very like sort of like I'm sort of startled and I'm, I'm pointing this prop. Um, I, I think I think the look you, you're trying to describe is his steely resolve. Not nothing uh, nothing really gets under his skin. Nah, steely resolve is my middle name. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was stupid. Uh, so the <laughs> the. Uh, they they go through the thing, uh, the gauntlet of all of these idiot robots, one after the other, who can't who can't hit the broadside of a barn. Because there are a couple times where like He Man is like jumping over in front of drum sets and like walking around and stuff, and then jumping back behind things. And it's just like there are so many opportunities to shoot him, miss every single one of them. Uh, and uh, well, they've only got that very tiny slit in their mask to see out of, so there's the, it's probably pretty tough for them. Yeah, and they're 1980s robots, so they're probably not very well assembled or or anything. So the uh, uh, interesting thing here is that in the back room, um, everybody's bickering, and then Tila's like, "I'm gonna go up front and help you guys all be good," and then she gives Robert Duncan McNeil the pistol because that seems reasonable. Uh, and Robert Duncan McNeil is just all like, oh yeah, Lubick, you just stay right there. I don't know. And just let him run outside and get killed. I mean, what's so bad? And then, um, uh, the record store guy, uh, sorry, the music store guy is also there, but not saying a word. And, uh, they argue Gwildor's messing with the keys. And then Courtney Cox is looking out the back window. Cause that seems like a safe place to look. Cause Lord knows nobody will attack the back of the store. Uh, and over walks some lady with shoulder pads and it seems like an awfully familiar lady with shoulder pads. And sure enough, it's her mother. But her mother gestures for her to be quiet. And so she's quiet. And she gestures for her to come out. And so she comes out. And no one notices the door opening or closing because they're having such an intense argument and also intensely adjusting music keys. Um, 
far-fetched. And so she walks down the alley to her dead mother, who's all like, oh yeah, we were working on super secret work. That's why we weren't there. So sorry about that, sweetie. We're totes not dead. We're spies or something. And uh, did, did, didn't mean to make you feel bad. Now bring us the thing from the place. Because we would really like that now. And she's like, okay. <laughs> like, hey, mom, if, you, if you're actually like not dead uh, and we're like having our reunion now, uh, maybe we talk about a couple other few things before I like do some favors for you. I don't know. I think this is, I, I, I would like to think this is like a, you know, like a vampire's enchantment or something like that where. Yeah, that would, that would be the only way this makes sense. Yeah. Cause if she, if she was just fooled by the visual deception of this, then, then that's, that's pretty silly. Then, uh, yeah. It is rather shocking that she uh, expects to graduate high school the next month. <laughs> so she goes back inside and she's like, Hey, my mother's out there. I'm going to take the thing now. <laughs> she runs out the door. <laughs> And then the, my mom said she wanted the thing, and I miss her because she's <laughs> dead. She was dead for so long, and I love my mom so much that I'm going to steal the thing and give to her, even though the fate of humanity could be at stake. Ah, uh, so so absurd. And and Robert Duncan McNeil is like on a delayed reaction cycle, where he's just like, "That seems so ridiculous. I can't believe it." Oh wait, she actually left the thing. I'm going to go chase after her now. Only the door glows red, and he can't open it because I don't know magic. I don't know. Magic in this movie is a little weird. <laughs> so, it, just, it just pops up and does things from time to time whenever they feel the need for it. Yeah, it's just like, hey, you know what would be great in the in the story is if they didn't go out of the room. Okay, well, magically, the door stays shut. Oh, man, you are so good at writing. Um, so, they... <laughs> so we need her to be outside, but nobody else is allowed to be there. I know, the, the door is sealed. Yes, but only for a little bit. <laughs> oh, so dumb. And so... Uh, she goes and gives uh, her mother the cosmic key and then hugs her closely. And uh, re- then all of a sudden it's Evelyn's voice. And, oh, my mom. And then Courtney Cox does this thing that I, I'm going to assume she would not do later on in her acting career where she just rubs her hands all over her face and through her hair. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just not really how you react in shock and horror to anything. But she did it. Uh, and so they... They do this thing uh, where she's just like, ah, my mom, ah, just like panicking. And then Evelyn's like, ah, ha, ha, ha. And she flips her cape <laughs> and leaves and no longer caring about whether or not the door is secure magically or otherwise. It, it opens and Robert Duncan McNeil comes and gets her. He brings her back inside. And she's like, oh, my mom, but it really wasn't. Uh, so, so silly. Um, and uh, all the robots leave. Evelyn's like, oh, we have what we came for. And it's like, nope. Evelyn, you are forgetting something on the checklist. You were supposed to also capture He-Man Alive. Things you did not do, capture He-Man Alive. Uh, but she's like, yeah, we, sh- we should get out of here. And so they all leave. <laughs> well, you can't, you can't skip over the fact that when Tila ran out there to help everyone, she, she fired a couple lasers and, not, and killed a couple robots and then turned directly to the camera, looked right in her eyes and said, more like woman at arms. And if that wasn't bad enough, there is yet another fourth wall breaking moment later. Yeah, well, I mean, there are a few. Um, uh, and also, like, near fourth walls are, like, just slightly, like, not totally straight on, but not three quarters. Um, and so the uh, the whole alley scene, they get back inside, and then everybody's like, oh, the robot's left. Let's go powwow in the back um, and talk about this. 
Um, and it's it's absurd because uh, then they're just like, let's recap all of the ways that Courtney Cox did the wrong thing, uh, and <laughs> and uh, instead of like chasing after them, they just kind of sit in the room for a little bit, which is not a good plan. Uh, and then uh, Evelyn signals to Skeletor. I have the thing, you know, he sends through the troops and he's in his carrier thing and he's like, where is he, man? And she's like, oh, he's eluded us. And I'm like, what are you talking about eluding you? He was inside the store. You had him surrounded with robots. <laughs> you literally just walked away from him. Uh, yeah. You, you're just like, peace out. <laughs> I mean, Although maybe- for, for a hero, a, a supposed hero of this story where he, man, you know, how he has his lines earlier about, you know, we'll break in and we'll kill the bad guys and blah, blah, blah. Uh, he's pretty defensive and, you know, like well, they're not chasing us right now, so maybe we should just sort of, like, hide out here and, like, not, like, get their attention anymore because who who needs to fight? Like, this is not super fun. Yeah, well, I mean, he doesn't have any real armor, Dan. You know, he's the only one walking around with his bare skin. I mean, he's going to get shot. Uh, it, like, is it laundry day or something? Like, where are his clothes? <laughs> well, he's not supposed to wear clothes because he's He-Man, master of the universe. But uh, Prince Adam wears clothes. <laughs> Uh, and and how they change exactly with the the thing thing with the sword and the air is is pretty ridiculous because it's just like just changes. Uh, so I guess they're magic clothes, but um, or he's he's magically nude. I don't know how that works. Uh, but the uh weird thing about that that I always found entertaining is that they literally draw him exactly the same, same hairstyle, uh, same face. Uh, same musculature, everything. They just put clothes on him in in terms of like the edges of collars and like a waistline and and <laughs> colors for the fabric. Uh, but it's still like skin tight. So it's, this is like the most Clark Kent kind of like secret identity you can come up with. It's just like, oh no, I can't change here because then everyone will know that I'm He Man. It's just like, <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> Everybody can tell. Uh, but. Um, We'll save that for another critique uh, when we do the uh, He-Man uh, uh, Christmas special. But uh, no, let's let's not do that. Oh, it's so good, Dan. It's it's so bad. It's so bad. It's good. Um, and so the uh, Skeletors are like, oh, I'm going to come after them. Flush them out with my Air Centurions, which I don't know how they steer those little disc things that they are on they're on these like robot frisbees but there's no like <laughs> pedals or anything they just kind of like go uh and so the air centurions go after them it's a very fancy title for basically just guys standing on floating platform yeah well robots standing on floating platforms would have you know what would have made more sense flying robots um but <laughs> <laughs> oh they don't have uh they don't have the budget for multiple designs no of course not and how is uh he-man supposed to knock a flying robot off of a flying robot to commandeer it um so <laughs> well he would just have to you know jump on top of it and then like rip its uh like robot brain cortex out the back and like steer it manually as they they would do in other movies oh you're right yeah he would just reach his hand in and pull on certain wires and it would yeah make there it would just be some wires like he would yank out the back yeah exactly <laughs> and then he would steer it by like grabbing the robot claw arms or something you know it's it's whatever uh we we, we know all the good writing tricks um so <laughs> <laughs> let's see we need him to steer this flying robot but it, it's it's sentient so what can we do i know we'll yank some wires out the back of it uh-huh 
Uh, I mean, it does always happen where they climb on the back of something and then they just pull on things. Anyway, so anyway, he he he. They run inside the building and then he's gonna jump on top of the thing and he does uh, knocks the guy off, gets on it, and then uh, flies off um, around and then like battles with different air centurions. And what I find interesting about these is there's sort of like a, a jousting quality to them because he is standing on top of a truck that's moving down a street. <laughs> and the air centurion is standing on top of a truck that's moving down a street and they're both moving in straight lines uh and they're firing at each other and no one hits anyone except for the one time one of them nicks his shoulder and knocks the the laser gun out of one of his hands <sighs> so silly um because no but the, the best part is when he's chasing that one down and skeletor basically says just you know keep flying away from him because he'll follow you because uh, apparently he's got nothing better to do and just you know bring him over here just like you know fly over to where we are and then he'll follow you and then we can capture him and it's just like the longest there, there are several shots and they cut back to him later where they're just like flying down the road just you know I'm gonna get this guy eventually you know we're both going exactly the same speed because we both have the same flying robot but I'll get to him eventually he'll slow down he'll forget yeah although it is a nice cut when uh, everybody's on top of the roof and then all of a sudden <laughs> Behind them slowly, the uh, giant floating barge thing, uh, Jabba's barge, um, only smaller for budget reasons, uh, floats up behind them with the Skeletor on his little uh, uh, radar throne. Um, and uh, <laughs> he was very, very quiet. Maybe he told all of his robots to be, to, you know, be extra silent. <laughs> he was just hiding below the ledge, like putting his finger in front of his mouth for all of the robots to go like, no, no, we're going to surprise him. It's going to be great. But he, he, he can't really shush them because he doesn't really have like lips that move like that. But anyway, so they, they, <laughs> they get up there and uh, uh, he captures everyone and all the robot troops pour out of the building. And it's just like the fact that they were suddenly so quiet and stealthy leads me to believe that maybe you should have them in quiet and stealthy mode for more than this one scene <laughs> because the rest of the time they're clinking around and making all this noise and everybody can tell they're coming from a mile away uh so the robot centurions surround them and uh he-man is all like shooting at things and blowing stuff up and he's like ah and then skeletor is like stop or i'm gonna kill all your friends and he's like oh <laughs> i didn't really Crap. think this plan through yeah it's <laughs> gonna drop into the middle of the roof and start like shooting and swinging the sword and stuff well like when you stand for peace and justice and the eternian way you just wail on some bros and that's that's what what gets things done i guess and of, and of course like right as he f- he's flying over the top uh for some reason courtney cox dives to protect him like he man no and she gets like lightning blasted in the in the calf which uh gives her the flu or something well i mean it gives her like gangrene or whatever like it's very it's very she gets weird. lightning sickness <laughs> lightning sickness and then we see for the uh, second time in this movie where she's just huddling under a blanket sweaty and shaking yeah well i mean they were like you know we got to use this cape for something um <laughs> we can't make Dolph wear it because that looks ridiculous so here let's just wrap her in it uh so the uh uh, the scene is pretty silly because they also like zaps with his lightning hand uh, the key that they had, um, but leaves it. Uh, I question that because you know he might think he blew it up, but uh, this is a guy who <laughs> has made these before, so maybe just completely take it away from him. Well, he, he formatted the C drive. the The keys no longer have the associated notes with them, which is. I mean, that's totally how pianos work. Like, if you, like, zap the inner bits... Yeah, you zap uh, the, the piano those, ram. Yeah. <laughs> those keys. 
no longer play uh, <sighs> music. Yeah. I, get, I, I can't <laughs> finish that sentence. <laughs> Why did I did I ruin that for you? No, no, it's good. It's good. It's actually a, it's, it's a good P Ram joke. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, the P could stand for piano. Um, and uh, so anyway, the key to their success, we'll be fixing that later. But uh, the Skeletor's all like, "Oh, let's get out of here." And they're like, "Well, should we just like I don't know, vaporize everyone?" And he's like, "No, if you do that, then He Man won't obey me anymore." Skeletor should remember this for later scenes, but does not. <laughs> and uh, so he, he's just like, yeah, just leave them alive and with this broken thing that might still work. And let's all go back <laughs> to Eternia. I mean, basically, uh, he, he, he beat, he bested He-Man at, at his game of chess. And he basically capitulated. He said, you know, you'll, you leave all them, uh, you'll leave all them alive. I'll totally come. Uh, be your slave, which I guess just means standing in front of you for all eternity with some chains on my wrists. Uh, well, so no, sure. here's, here's the funny thing. Later on, when they get back to the room and they tie him down, um, and and Skeletor's like, "I'm gonna break you before the moonrise, and then I'm gonna kill you." And it's just like, wait a minute, this is a really short time span, Jack Bauer. What are you, what are you talking about? You're gonna break him before moonrise? It's already night. Um, so it it it, it seems really strange and uh well you, you, you gotta you gotta have a callback to that ticking clock about why the uh the, the sorceress is is now got old makeup on yes really thick old makeup um yeah. wow her head looks so swollen <laughs> but uh, uh she's unwell she's, she's retaining eternia water <laughs> she's she's got a force field sickness um but uh, so he's trapped and tied down, and they're all back on Earth, and like, oh, it's so hopeless now. <sighs> and cops show up. He, he broke our doodad, and then we don't know how to get away. If only so let's, let's if, stand around and talk for a little while. Yeah, and then the cops show up, and they're like, we should get away from the cops, and let's go to this fountain. Uh, she needs some water. I saw saw a fountain down there. They uh, and and of course, what you do when someone's sick is you get fountain water because uh, that's the the purest, most sure. refined source. You put you put uh, uh, you, you put public water on your open wound. <laughs> it's not even public water. Public water that has been circulating inside of an open air uh, pool of water, um, which I am sure is full of so much piss and so much bird poop. <laughs> well, you know, you throw your coins in there too. You got uh, you, you, you got all the filth of the coins. Oh yes, the filth of the coins. The the. She, she she this is not like i don't understand this i mean are they trying to like inoculate her against like hepatitis c or something like why would you get the fountain water <laughs> so they they get the fountain water and they pour it on her pussy wound and uh it's all like oh no what can happen how can we fix this now and it's like only the surf- even kevin's like oh that's gross looking <laughs> yeah <laughs> kevin is your girlfriend calm down um but uh they're all like oh the only thing that can fix this is the sorceress it's like that seems like a weird medical plan um but they <laughs> they uh there's like this is uh skeletor's special talent and it's like what a weird so- talent yeah, I mean that's the problem with like uh, special like socialized sorcerer's medicine. It's like you know they can totally fix you for free, no matter what it is. But you just gotta wait in that long line. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, this is why uh, privatized sorcerers are so much better. But uh, <laughs> I mean, you pay a little bit more, but you can get in on time. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, I work around your schedule. Uh, <laughs> the grayscale PPO. So um, the. 
the 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 thing with the stuff at the fountain uh it's pretty ridiculous because it's all the oh all hope is lost thing it's like obviously not all hope is lost it's not that kind of a movie and uh they they quickly determined that if only they had power and a couple things and knew the tones then they'd be able to do it but without the tones it's hopeless and kevin's like oh you mean the thing that played every time you turned it on i kind of remember that and then they're like, "What?" And then he hums "Close Encounters," and then it's just I'm like, "I'm a musician, bro. Like, I, it had a it had a sweet uh, sweet vibe. I was going to use it for one of my songs." Yes, gosh. And so that's convenient. And uh, although you know, it's not the most far fetched thing in this film uh, that he remembers that. Uh, but they, but he well, remember- but also don't forget he has perfect pitch, so he can identify each of those notes if he were to be playing them on a piano. Yes, or, or special galactic synthesizer that makes weird noises uh and so it's just like okay well we need this this and this and he's and tila's like i have one of those and man at arms is like i have one of those and then it's like i know where to get a keyboard and it's just like oh great and it's just like are you guys kidding me like okay fine whatever and so we, we, we need this dark prop off of your shoulder and that other dark prop off of your belt yes Oh, I love the names for them, but although we forgot, it, like one of them was called like the octagonal rectifier or something. And it was just like, are, are you kidding me with the name of this thing? Um, like, of course, all you need is like some chewing gum and twine. You've got a doorway to another dimension, a doorway, a doorway uh, to another dimension, you know, just hum a few bars. And so, because the whole universe is made out of music, which is um, cheesy and silly and ridiculous. Uh, uh, the whole universe is music, Kevin. Yeah. Well, See, this is the thing. It's like, on some levels, they wanted to make something that would be taken seriously. More seriously than the cartoon show. And on other levels, they made a ridiculous movie. So you can't be taken seriously, and it just makes it just draws more attention uh, to the fact that you can't take this seriously. Because um, it, it's just so patently absurd. It would have been better if they had like purposefully made this campy. Um, but they... Uh, uh, but but instead they tried to be very earnest about this, and uh, Kevin goes off to get the keyboard, and Lubick, uh, after bringing all the cops, like ah, oh, I swear they were here, the army. And it's no one saw them, of course, as we talked about before. Apparently, no one lives here. Uh, they all commute back out to whatever <laughs> the outskirts of town are at night. Um, and so uh, Lubick's like ah, oh, follow them, and stuff and like that's the car and they go over towards the fountain he's like you guys stay here i'm gonna go in pumps the shotgun because that seems appropriate uh and they go to he goes towards the fountain um just in time for the thing to start doing the thing and they're like oh no and they do it and they zap the whole chunk of land that they're on um for a few inches in any direction uh because it doesn't like take the earth underneath them it just takes the ground concrete layer and some bricks um yeah it's uh it's just like that scene in jumper yeah it's very convenient um i never saw jumper (laughs) uh maybe you should one of these days uh as payback for making me watch this how about that uh payback that's the best way to incentivize me see it's got that one guy from those other movies with the space and stuff yeah the one that i don't like Good, good, good job, Dan. Um, but uh, so anyway, uh, they have this thing where they arrive in the throne room um, in the middle of it, which seems like again not a good plan, uh, not a great plan, but a plan uh, in that they're there. 
and that's the end of it, and they must figure out the rest of it from here, which involves mostly just scrambling around with robots. And uh, He-Man had been laser-whipped for a while, and then... <laughs> it was uh, pretty dope laser-whip. He was... It was reacting pretty heavily to it even before it hit him. It was, it was pretty good. Ugh, ridiculous. Uh, and it doesn't make any sense to have Blade do that because his name's Blade. It should have been Knives. Um, if you're going to have somebody do like a laser whip, then it should be one of the other guys. Uh, so, although, you know, it was probably cheaper to put him in wardrobe than it was to put the other guys in makeup. Um, and <laughs> I don't know if you caught this, but uh, with uh, the, the guy holding Skeletor's staff, there's like this little like like pig guy like with like a little scrunchy face and he just holds the staff that, this is this is seen in the movie um he has he has a spot in the credits though uh and then uh, uh and and he-man's sword is kept tight in the perfectly sized fitted sword locking device like i, I don't understand it's just like it's like uh yeah it's, it's attached to the throne to, to keep your sword safe when you're not there it's like one of those little cables with the doodad that you attach to like your hard drive or your laptop or something so people can't steal it when you're away from your desk yeah kensington security dongle absolutely uh, it's a kensington sword dongle yes oh sword dongles it's not that kind of a podcast dan um so the <laughs> at this point i think it pretty much is uh what is this show? So uh, they lock. Uh, he is the sword locked up. He's been whipped. Uh, he's like, I'm not bowing to you, Skeletor. And uh, Skeletor <laughs> is all like, doesn't matter. The eye of the universe or whatever, uh, planetary alignment things, w- things that weren't really super important at the beginning of the film, but are more important now. Um, uh, that's all happening. And uh, robots and stuff, and they're all shooting at the people, and it's it's just wacky wacky is what it is um and then the eye of the universe opens and glowy things come out um from places and slam into him and then a mat that is not aligned to his face uh (laughs) glows as he wobbles back and forth through it um I don't, I don't know why they couldn't track that in, but uh, it's it's not tracked in. Like, you watch that, and it's just like, I can see exactly where you drew this and cut mm-hmm. this, and I don't know why you couldn't make that move. You made you spent all that money on that, that whip, but, uh, but you were just like, nope, let's just have a strobing light that might be over his shoulder, might be on his face. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, there were also a number of, uh, like, the laser hits that bounce off of uh, He-Man's sword, that are on his sword for a frame, and then the sword like totally moves away, and it just kind of like stays there and hovering in the air. Yeah. Well, what I especially like about the lasers is that sometimes they're like a glowy additive thing, and then other times they're like a there's like a negative black halo around them. It's just like okay, <laughs> you guys got to decide how you want to do that with your optical printer. But um, they uh, they they have the whole thing, and he's just like, oh, I've got you know, all this power, I am a god, and he turns gold um, with the most ridiculous outfit. Uh, I, 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 crack, I crack up every time I see this. And honestly, it wouldn't really be that bad if it wasn't for the, like, headdress hat thing that they gave him. Because obviously, it is very hard for him to talk with this makeup on, and it is very hard for him to talk with this makeup on with this helmet thing on top of him, which must weigh easily like 10 pounds. And he sort of like wobbles every now and then. He's grimacing. It's just like, 
this is not the kind of thing you should put your actors in. This, no. The, you it's the kind just, of helmet that would, like, make Loki go, damn, that is a big helmet. Yeah, you should, I mean, just put him in a gold robe. Or, or just, like, I don't know, give him a tiara or something. Um, make him feel special. But, I mean, this this is, like, absurd. And it has, like, those bat wings that stick out the back of it. And it's just like, what are those for? Like, what is he going to do, fly? Um, they could at least flap so that it's not so heavy. Uh, but the, uh, the, the that headdress thing is ridiculous. And uh, now he can shoot lasers out of his eyes. And he does that. And he's like, no, because that's also something that bad guys had said in previous movies in the 80s. Neil before Zod. So (laughs) it's a good kind of thing to riff off of here. Uh, And uh, it's like surrender to me and stuff and things. And um, there's laser fighting. And one of the chain thingies gets broken. And then robots jump in front. And Skeletor shoots the robots. And then He-Man gets free and gets the sword. And he says... I have the power, and he holds aloft his magic sword and doesn't really transform because he's already He-Man, but light comes (laughs) off of it. And uh, then Skeletor winces at the light for... I don't know, a reason or something? I don't know. He he spent, like, two seconds, like, talking about how he was a god, so um, way to go. You can't look at a bright light. Um, And so uh, then he takes his gold staff, which is gold now for reasons, uh, and fights He-Man with it, and there's clang, clang, and light, and stuff, and lightning, and things. And what's funny about this is we cut away to uh, the one of the bigger problems this movie had, where they ran out of money and time to use the set, uh, and they had to negotiate for an extra day, but they couldn't get the crew. So instead, they have a completely empty set with no lights on, except for some colored gels being swapped out. It was some lights that are behind and some like fog that was put up. I don't know if you can tell, but it's pretty obvious. They cut away from, we have this whole throne room thing going on to here is just the two of them fighting in an empty room now. Uh, So it's pretty sad. I I am going to go rewatch that again, because I think my head may have been in my hands at this point, only occasionally looking up, but yeah, I guess uh, when they were fighting, we kind of stay looking towards the throne, don't we? We don't really ever spin back around to see what everyone else is up to. No, because they're not up to anything because they're not there. Um, <laughs> there, I mean, there are a couple times where you can see kind of off to the side, like some of the periphery where uh, the robot soldiers should be standing, and there's no one. Not a soul to be found. And there's no lights on. There's just those lights going on behind them, um, like flashing different colors and stuff. It's like that... Uh, uh, terrible Christopher Lloyd and Hayden Christensen um, like lightsaber duel thing in the second uh, Star Wars prequel movie where they're fighting and the only thing illuminating them is their lightsabers in the dark. But it wasn't really that dark in that room. They just did that. Um, but for this, it was for budget reasons because they ran out of time and money. Uh, but they still made it weird, the gold thing. And then uh, he gets defeated and there's the whole like ah your sword but you got your sword ah you threw me off oh i'm falling (laughs) he he, he kicks him into the uh the infinity pit which uh i guess it's good at this point that they didn't uh cover it up with some dance floor well it's hard to cover up a matte painting like that you spent a lot of money on that matte painting um (laughs) matte painting like that you don't cover up all at once (laughs) (laughs) you 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 slowly truck into it but uh so they it's 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 probably one of the worse 
1980s bad guy falling off of something into like a forever pit things that you can see um which is a thing that they did it was the style of the time um was to just have people fall off of things because that makes your your (laughs) hero not into a bad your hero's not a bad guy because he didn't kill the bad guy yeah he's he he doesn't have to he's not going to kill you but he doesn't have to save you either yeah because this this makes the audience feel like uh justice has been delivered because the bad guy is dead but it's not by his hand um, cause that would make them feel bad because he shouldn't be slaughtering people. So I, I'm not sure that logic would hold up in a court of law, but I guess, you know, it's, it's attorney. It, it's, it's more of a dictatorship. Well, it's, it's also movie logic. Like every movie in the eighties did this. Uh, and, and, and is, so it's, it's not just like, it, like, I don't even know if it was like a legal requirement or something, but everyone fell off of everything in the eighties. And so he falls off, uh, to his demise. Although it was kind of funny when, he gets turned back into normal after his staff breaks mm-hmm. and he's back in his normal cloak. And then he reaches underneath his cloak when he's kneeling on the ground and pulls out a long sword. <laughs> sure. Why not? I mean, it's just like Highlander where you're wearing some sort of coat. You can hide a long sword under there. Yeah. Well, I mean, it wasn't even that it was just, he was kneeling on the ground. It was like, what was it in like in a, in a wrinkle? Like, I mean, how did, how did that, where was it? Uh, but, uh, why didn't you take out a sword before instead of trying to fight him with a staff? Uh, but, but he falls, uh, everyone's happy, uh, cut immediately, jarringly, to the final scene, where everyone's in the throne room. They're the exact same room, it's just, you know, they've, they've moved some stuff around and there's different lights and stuff. Yeah, I think this might have been, like, their first day of filming or something, I don't know. Like, <laughs> there's their very tearful goodbyes, mm-hmm. Courtney Cox is saying goodbye, she's very sad to be saying goodbye to all of these dear friends that she's made over the past, like, 36 hours. Yeah, well... It wasn't even 36 hours. It was moonrise on the same day. It was just like a, a couple hours. But uh, what's funny about this is Lubick. Um, and I say funny because it's like tragically stupid that they wrote this. Uh, where his character is staying in Eternia uh, because he found someone somehow. I mean, um, why, why would you not? You're friends with the queen, basically. Well, sorceress. I mean, he's got a seat up there by the throne. He found a girlfriend. He's suddenly retired. Whatever. It's ridiculous. It's absurd. Um, I, I didn't like that. He's in his little toga thing. And uh, the uh, other people are like, oh, yeah, things are great now. Everything's back to normal. I don't, I don't know how that works because there's still, like, all those robots. Oh, did the robots surrender? Uh I mean, Eva Lynn got away because she saw, she saw which way the wind was blowing. Technically, everything was fine when she left, but she 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 had a feeling. Well, if we know tropes of the '80s, once you kill the leader, all of the robots just sort of like fall over. Oh yeah, yeah. They were all probably powered by uh, something in his cloak. Um, that little thing that was on his wrist that blinked through the whole movie. Uh, but oh, maybe it was the, the the big thing on top of the staff. Maybe it just wasn't decorative. It just had like a like a big AAA battery or something. Oh yeah, yeah. And he probably doesn't have any more AAA batteries now that he's down at the bottom of the pit. Um, what's what's funny about this is uh, they're leaving, and it's like we could send. Uh, Gwildor has this line that he says now of all times, where he says, "I could send you anywhere in the past or or future of your world." It's like, wait a minute, hold up, hold the phone. This thing, <laughs> this thing's a time traveling device. Why well, didn't we know, just the, time the travel? Is music? Yeah. Well, why didn't we just time travel and prevent all of? Skeletor's invasion. Like, you were so worried about Skeletor being able to figure out where you went, but he wouldn't know where you went if you went in the past. (sighs) 
See, this is this is the classic time travel paradox. Do you travel back in time and kill Skeletor's parents before they can have Skeletor? Yes, exactly. That's the classic paradox. I mean, you you, you would prevent uh, Eternia World War II or something, mm-hmm. but oh. you, you could irrevocably change the history of Eternia for the worse. Y- yes. All of a sudden, it'll be an evil dictatorship under Hordak. But, um, so, uh, that's another... Anyway, I won't explain that. Um, so they... Is it, is it a Star Trek thing? No, it isn't. Not even remotely. But, uh, so, although Frank Langello, Langello was in Star Trek uh, for several episodes where he played a Bajoran guy who was throwing a Bajoran military coup. Uh, and uh, so that was that was something he did. And Alan Oppenheimer, who played the voice of Skeletor in the cartoon series, was in Star Trek as well for several guest roles. Uh, okay. I'm just giving you some facts, Dan. So, these are these are cold hard facts. Yeah, really good facts. So there's a lot of Star Trek supporting people in this. Also, Michael Westmore, who did the makeup, um, uh, was the, the the makeup guy for Star Trek for Next Generation onward. Uh, how very nice of him. Mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, so they bid their goodbyes, and he says this random thing, this throwaway line about anywhere and time, um, and. So she suddenly thinks as she enters the portal, oh, take me back to before my parents crashed. And then she's gone. And then she wakes up in bed and it's like, oh, I'm in my house. And there's all this terrible wallpaper. And she, she leaves, <laughs> she's wearing my grandma's nightgown. Yes. She leaves in her grandma's night, nightgown, wanders through the hallway full of terrible wallpaper, past all the furniture they rented uh, to the downstairs area uh, where her dad and her mom are. And uh, she's so excited to see her dad and his big, thick glasses and so excited to see the mom. And just like, oh, we're going to Catalina. It's like, don't go. I can't explain it. Don't go. I'll go with you to the beach. I don't have to study. And they're like, why are you being so weird? And she takes all (laughs) her stuff and leaves. Uh, And she runs into Kevin in the street. And he remembers, too. Isn't that amazing? Isn't this time paradox going to be freaking awesome? I mean, how? We got to take all of our finals again. It's so so ridiculous. I mean, like, way to go, Gwildor. Could you like send her like a little bit further than like four hours before her parents died? Well, no. I mean, what I would have preferred is that they had not introduced time travel into the film at all. Well, th- yeah, of course, but sure. I, I think that that really complicates a lot of story elements in the picture. But you can't uh, you can't have a happy ending if she's still got dead family. Well, that's I don't know. Don't kill them. I don't know what do you what do you want me to say. Uh, so, if you want to have them dead, then that's fine. Another positive ending would be that she is able to have a, a nice, healthy, wonderful life for herself now. Um, that she she feels like a full, complete person. That she's able to make her own way in the world. That she loves Kevin and realizes that she doesn't really need to move away from New York. She's just running away from her problems. Any of these things are fine. Pick from the bucket. What I don't like <laughs> is that she's just like, oh, no, we had to, you know, get my parents back, which is not a possibility for most people. So then it's just like, okay, so congratulations on your time travel ending. That's that's really good twist to your movie about people from another planet who came to Earth to fight some guy over the power of the universe. <sighs> so ridiculous. And to top, to top it all off, at the end of this, at the end of the whole credit sequence... Uh, Skeletor um, sticks his head up out of the water at the bottom of the pit and he's like, I'll be back. And he, he says that and he splashes around a little. Uh, I don't know if you stayed through the <laughs> credits, but that's there. 
Uh, I, I absolutely did not. But thank you for telling me that that was there. Yes, you're welcome. Because if there wasn't enough like sequel bait in this movie, Lord knows why. Apparently they thought, hey, it's a possibility. Let's set it up for a sequel. Why not? Uh, oh, they, they there was one more. There was going to be a sequel. They had uh, started production on it, and it was going to be directed by some, I don't know, guy. Uh, Who started it, when, and why? I don't know, but I don't think it was based on what was happening in the film at the time. I think they had just started pre-planning it before this. Uh, but because of how things went down with the money, where Canon Film said, we're not actually going to pay for the film, um, then uh, things went sour with their relationship with Mattel, and they didn't actually do the sequel. But they took some of the costumes that they were making for the sequel, and they gave them... Uh, uh, they, they had to do something with them because they had spent so much money on it, and the costumes for... Uh, a Spider-Man movie that Canon Films was making, of all things, uh, which was also canceled. Uh, and they took that and made a Cyborg um, movie. And then that apparently spawned a bunch of really low-budget sequels and stuff, and it was critically panned. So I'm sure that was fantastic. Uh, and that starred John Colin Van um, who also worked as Dolph Lundgren in Universal Soldier, and they were Cyborgs. So uh, that just ties that all together with a nice, neat little bow. It's, it's utterly fascinating. <sighs> yeah, Canon Films... What a disaster. When uh, when did they go away? Uh, I don't know, before 1990? Like, it, they barely survived the 80s. They were, they were one of those production companies where they were robbing Peter to pay Paul, where they were just, like, taking whatever money that was supposed to be going towards whatever their sure bet was, their risk, uh, you know, averse thing was, and then taking that money and sh- putting it off to their little low-budget things that they thought would do well. Um, like, uh, they kept taking money out of their Superman projects to fund other little tiny movies on the gambling bet that those would do well. Uh, unfortunately, most of the things they made were garbage. And so that impacted their bottom line negatively and they, they couldn't actually afford to stay in business. And, uh, also they couldn't afford to make any more Superman movies just for the best because they, uh, were not doing very well towards the end of that. Because this is also the same time that Canon Films was making uh, Superman and the Battle for Peace or War for Peace or whatever the hell that last one was. Well, uh, which one was that? I don't know. It was the last Christopher Reeves one. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was going to say, this isn't into the speculative Nicolas Cage era, was it? No, 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 no. That was Warner Brothers. That was after Warner Brothers bought DC. Well. Well, uh, an estimated $22 million budget and it uh, grossed 17 which is really, really, really bad. Yeah. Although it is a bit of a cult classic because it's such a terrible movie. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't know that I would call this a cult classic. It is, uh, it is some IP that they turned into a live-action movie. Um, and that's about it. I, I like it because it is so terrible. Um, but, uh, and it, it, you know, it's one of those things where it's like they, they really, really wanted to do a passable job. And in so doing... In aiming so high as being passable, they failed so spectacularly that it is unintentionally hilarious in every single way. Well, it really does show either the lack of confidence they had in it when going into production or just how many problems they had. Just, I mean, just watching this movie, it's one of those movies that, like, on the whole feels claustrophobic because, again, there's, like, four locations and it's, like... You can tell they picked this street because, like, nobody lives there. Or they picked the, the this loading dock on this warehouse because we have the use of this. And we have this one set we built. And it's like, 
did did you just like have no faith in this movie? You just didn't want to put in the resources, or was the person running it just so inept that they spent all of the money on the makeup and they didn't have the budget to do things that you would do on a movie, like you know, scenes with shots and places and stuff? Yeah. Well, supposedly earlier drafts of this had more of Eternia in it, and they kept cutting that out. Uh, And they also puttered around in uh, concept development for a while. And uh, there was all kinds of stuff about casting where uh, some producer had picked Dolph Lundgren and signed him up and then picked the director. And the director wasn't happy with Dolph Lundgren, but got Frank Langella, who who we wanted. So he like reconfigured part of the story to focus more on Skeletor than on He-Man's dialogue, which is for the best. Yeah, Uh, I mean, Skeletor was certainly a stronger character than uh, He-Man in this one. Yeah. Um, literally and figuratively, except for that last part where his rod was broken. Um, <laughs> I mean, but like, I mean, in spite of the fact that he's a stronger character and he puts in a better performance, like the things he's doing in this movie are completely ridiculous and in no way could carry this movie, uh, I, unless everyone else was on his level or doing better work than he was, which is just not the case. No. Well, I mean, you can't have everybody like at 150%, you know, uh, scenery chewing like that doesn't, that wouldn't work as a film. <laughs> you could, that, that it would just be directed by Joseph Kahn. <laughs> <laughs> or, yeah, I, 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 ugh. but, um, the, uh, the thing is that his, 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 the writing for what he's doing plot wise makes no sense. Um, the writing for what everyone else is doing, Plot-wise, is inconsequential compared to the fact that they just say and do ridiculous things. So that 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 is that, uh, and uh, that that summarizes the film. That is it. We finished it. We got to the end, and now we can travel back in time and uh, <laughs> and find a way to make the podcast shorter than the movie. <laughs> I was just noticing that too. Yeah, we talked uh, talked for a long time. Yeah, I I'm hope- gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go through my box of toys and see if I can find my He Man. Ah, I hope that's not a euphemism. No. (laughs) That's what you call it. (laughs) That's how it is in their family. My my box of toys, huh? Uh. I did did recently get a hand-me-down, you know, one of those, uh, like your parents go like, yeah, get this crap out of my house. Take this with you. Oh, no, you got a, wait, you got a box of toys from your parents? That's gross, Dan. Uh, It's just like Ninja Turtles and shit. That's a that's a weird name for him. Um, so anyway, <laughs> you are terrible. I'm talking about childhood memories here. You're ruining it. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs>